Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Groovy Tube. And it's episode six of the crimes of the Brady, Brady Bunch. Bunch. Yeah. yeah, and so today we're talking about episodes 7 through 12 of season 2 of the Brady Bunch. Do you want to start, back? Yes, I will. Episode 7, The Treasure of Sierra Avenue. The boys find a wallet with $1,100 in a parking lot while playing football. The kids argue about who gets to keep the money and finally agree about sharing it. Hmm. But Ooh, spoiler the alert. owner comes forward after seeing an ad in the Lost and Found section. Mm-mm-mm. Episode 8, A Fistful of Reasons. Peter receives a black eye when he tries to defend his little sister from bully Buddy Hinton. Mm-hmm. Episode 9, The Not-So-Ugly Duckling. Jan has a crush on a boy in her class, but he only has eyes for Marsha. Episode 10, The Tattletale. Cindy causes problems for herself and the rest of the family by being a tattletale. Oh, that's bad. Mm, you don't want to be a rat. You don't want to be snitches get stitches. That's right. <laughs> Episode 11, What Goes Up. After falling out of a tree, Bobby develops a fear of height. Episode 12, Confessions, Confessions. Peter is sure his weekend camping trip will be canceled when he breaks his mother's favorite and face. And it's one of, it has one of the series' famous catchphrases in it. Yeah. Should we say it now or should we let our listeners wait? That's one of the ones everyone remembers. It is. But we'll get to it when we get to okay. it. Okay. So, The Treasure of Sierra Avenue is another classic Boys versus girls. It reminded me a lot, in fact, of the S&H Green Stamp yes. episode. Yes. And as I've said before, I won't go on and on because I've said it on several episodes. I always feel like the boys versus girls episodes don't have a lot of hmm. place to go. There's and it doesn't really do. focus yeah. on one kid. But anyway, Bobby and Peter and Greg are playing football in a vacant lot because I guess their AstroTurf yard <laughs> <laughs> is not adequate. Although the vacant lot seems pretty small. You know, Bobby is inadequate as a football player. Oh, he's so, excluded uh, from the game. Yeah. so mean. Well, actually, I'm glad they're finally doing that because it wasn't realistic that the the older, especially Greg, would let his little eight-year-old or nine-year-old brother or whatever play with him yes. all the time. So Bobby goes to find the ball he didn't catch, and lo and behold, they find a wallet full of money. A fortune. A fortune, because then they're home counting it at the kitchen table as Alice and Carol look on drooling, and it's $1,100. $1, which is, I looked it up. About sixty-seven hundred dollars in today's wow. Which actually, if you find a, I mean, it doesn't seem even like, eleven hundred. I would. I'd take go any. With I'd today. take eleven dollars. Yeah, I don't care. I, yeah, I know. Me too. There's no it, ID, of course. There's no ID, and Carol does mention it's not theirs. But I found it funny that until Mike weighs in, yes, she calls Mike to see. Yeah, she she calls Mike, and of course Greg doesn't get to the point, and Mike's very busy in his very busy architecture job, so doesn't listen to Greg till he hangs up the phone and realizes Greg said he found eleven hundred dollars, and Mike's like, Ugh. but Carol never says, "Let's call the cops" or "Let's report this to the police." Blah blah blah. She's just well, she, she does needs mention Mike to tell her what she should. Yeah, do. she does. No, she she does him. because he has to come home and man. Explain. Yes. And so he comes home, and by the time Mike comes home, the kids are already tussling. The boys are going to split it three ways. Well, the girls assumed that they would share. I don't yeah, know which why. I thought was weird. The girls assume that they're that it's going to be split six ways, and then they go into the boys and act all sappy, pitchy, and Jan. 
It seems a little, I don't mean to knock Eve Plum. I know she was a little girl when this was going on. But she always seems kind of uncomfortable and on the edge of hysteria sometimes. Yeah, she does. You know, and I think we see in later episodes, including one coming up today, that Jan is Nuts. probably a little, that she's... Unbalanced. She's a... Yeah, a child who could have benefited from major therapy and probably medication, and they <laughs> yeah. the Bradys in their weird little bubble just didn't recognize that. I was going to say, the girls are, like, trying to kiss up. Very much so. And it doesn't work, so they flounce out, but then they're happy. Yes, they do flounce Mike, out. Mike well, takes the wallet, so then no, they're they're, Well, they're still in the boys' room, and Mike comes in right in the nick of time to lecture them yes. on the fact that the wallet isn't theirs, it's somebody else's, and he's going to, you know, give it to the police to find the owner and then the girls do flounce out and that's funny that you said that because that's exactly what I thought with their hair waving in the background because the boys got their comeuppance but it's set up now to be a classic. Well I wrote in my notes Mike does not like what the money is doing to the boys. No. Well no they get a lecture about how they have to find the owner and turn it into the police. Yeah I have lecture minutes later. Yes, he does. Mike, one thing about this episode is Mike gets to have a couple different instances where he gets to lecture yeah, and be the boss. And, and Yes, it makes him very happy. Although there's one thing I'm going to bring up later about that that makes him unhappy. So it's set up to be a classic battle of the sexes with the tension yeah. being, will the kids eventually get the money? They're at dinner and you can see that there's tension and rivalry. <laughs> oh wait, it's breakfast. They're at breakfast and they're not talking to each other. Oh, yeah. Although Cindy, being Cindy, has to tell Bobby she's not talking to him. Isn't that cute? And, tries to and make Alice, Alice is dishing up some kind of gruel, some kind of Oliver hey, Twist style care. gruel. Someone made me breakfast and eat it. Peter doesn't even close the refrigerator no, door. No, he doesn't. No, I he doesn't. Cre- Marsha is looking in the refrigerator. <laughs> Peter's standing behind her. And yeah, he doesn't close the door. Hmm. after it's his turn and then he goes into the family room where greg has called the police department to see if anybody claimed the money and he hasn't so greg's all excited nobody has and then they see the newspaper sitting there and there's a cute peter moment because greg's like look at this and peter's like loss brown dog (laughs) and he's like what does that have to do with the wallet (laughs) and greg's like no the other one dummy (laughs) and it's like lost wallet so greg calls the owner after a little bit of back and forth you know as they weigh their consciences weigh they call the person who put the ad in and mike stands in the doorway and in typical brady fashion even though he's standing right there nobody sees him well and you can see how proud he is of his sons doing the right thing and it turns out the person whose lost wallet it was it was only like 220 dollars so they're all gleeful and mike had already called them yes mike points out to the boys he'd already called but he was proud that they called and then he and then he points out the reason the newspaper was by the phone and i feel like that was almost a rod reed rob reed interjection let's explain why the newspaper's by the phone. At least, hey, Any I can tell you though, that his, if it is, I thank him because there are a lot of times when things really annoy me, stupid little I know. things like that. And, and and now every time there's something in the show that seems like almost a pointless line but points to why something's happening, <laughs> yeah. I always think it's a robbery. Yeah. But he took out an ad saying that they found a wallet and to call them to describe it. And so then we and have... And the boys were annoyed by that. They were very annoyed. So then we have the cute little scenes where people are getting phone calls of people describing the wallet and the scene that has always annoyed me carol she's such a apparently helpless housewife she's trying to make ice by putting ice cube trays filled with water in the freezer and the phone's ringing 
and she can't figure out how to balance the ice cube trays and answer the phone and hold the ice cube tray so the water isn't coming out. And all I can think of is, what, Carol can't even fucking make. So, so, so it's so hard to make it, ice. It's hard to be a housewife. The thing is, when I watch a scene like yeah, that, I'm like imagining the down. writers I know. coming up with, oh, and then we can have this cute physical bit where she's got, she's juggling the ice cube trays and trying to answer the phone. I feel like they always do those to Carol and Alice. You yeah. never see Mike... Especially Alice. Right. You never see Mike having scenes where he's trying to actually... Yeah, and then we have the Alice that they use over and over where you think she's crying and she's yes. actually chopping an onion, you know. But it's funny because Mike and Carol come in and they're like, oh, are you all right? And she says something about the onion, but it's like they're not listening. And even if she was really crying about something, it doesn't seem they like they care. Shit. She's just their maid. So then Peter comes home and he knows all about the law now. Yes. Joey's father's a lawyer. Well, although we don't find that right out. Oh, so yeah. Peter lectures Mike on how the police can keep it for six, uh, six months and all this kind of stuff. And Mike looks very dubious. And also, I think Mike is annoyed that there's somebody else. Another man. Another man. It's another man, so he can't be like... Well, first of all, he seems dubious and bemused by Peter lecturing. Mm-hmm. And then when and when he says, well, i got to ride home with Joey and his father's a lawyer and his father told me all this, Mike does seem annoyed because now there's another man mansplaining when that's Mike's job. But what eventually happens is they keep thinking they're going to get the money. Like Greg says several times on the show, I think it's really ours now. But well, you were gonna... Oh, I was going to say the girls are holding a grudge and won't share with the boys. Oh, right. We haven't even so addressed Mike the... and Carol don't approve of that. Yes, and they get the and double you know team, double team That's lecture. Right. But one thing I've noticed about the staging, and we'll see in the final episode we talk about today, the staging is different for a reason. But when Mike and Carol have the double team lecture in the family room, the kids sit... In order of age, the girls on one side and the boys on the other. And I thought to myself as the scene opened, it's interesting that Bobby's in between Greg and Peter for a change. But it's because at the end of the lecture, when the boys quickly agree to share the money, Bobby says, I don't agree. Peter and Greg can then both elbow him very ah. hard. And I'm like, see, oh, that's why they have Bobby in the Poor middle Bobby. instead of the usual I staging. Agree. So, but they, <laughs> so they agree to split the money six yes. ways. And Greg... To his credit, actually, seems a little relieved. How about this quote, which maybe you take note of? It may be my favorite quote of the whole Should episode today. It? Yeah, you can go ahead and say it. Boys might as well learn at an early age that mm-hmm. girls are going to cost them yep, money the rest of their lives. Yep, Mike says that to Carol as they walk into the kitchen, and Carol, of course, gives her usual laugh. And I know I say this every time, but I'm going to say it again. There's gratuitous female bashing, and you never hear gratuitous male bashing from the women mm-hmm. to the men. And... Let's face it, why would men in that era, or this era for that matter, have women saying negative things about men? They never do. No, they don't. I shouldn't say never, because like on commercials and stuff aimed at women, fathers are often shown as idiots. I have to give that One thing I was surprised about was when the whole battle of sexes thing happened that Mike and Carol didn't resort to trickery to solve it. But the choices are either trickery or Or a lecture. lecture, And he went with lecture that time. Sometimes both, though. Sometimes they combine them. Right. But they do get 
A call from the police. Right? right. Oh, and one thing I wanted to point out with the battle of the sexes thing, too. But so one of the things was Marsha is doing her homework or something in the family room, and Greg wants to borrow some paper, and she won't let him, and they have this big argument. You always share paper. And I'm thinking, don't they have fucking paper in the house? I know. This is like 1969 <laughs> or 70. People have paper you all don't have the computers. And also then Cindy is sitting at the outdoor table with like what looks like a pound of these giant licorice pieces. And Bobby's like, hi, Cindy. And she's like, like, would you like some licorice? And he's like, sure. And she goes, I bet you would. And she takes it. I'm like, who has that much fucking licorice? I know. And they're like the size of like rebar or something. Or, you know. And oh, and, and then Mike has to make a remark. Well, I wrote in my notes, Mike does not like what the money is doing to the boys. No, I'm concerned because things are getting out of hand. And I'm like, things are always getting out of hand. Well, they have that many kids. So the guy whose wallet it was is named Mr. Stoner. Which I wondered if there was some joke to deal with that. And of course, he's he's a cliche kind of character. Well, the missus and I have saved up for this trip and blah, blah, blah. And he stopped to fix a flat tire on that vacant lot and dropped the wallet. And, and he, they've been searching for it and they've been besides themselves. And he gives the boys, he wants to give them $100. And Mike won't let him. And Mike won't let him. So the kids take 20 and then Greg has to make a joke about how hard it is to split it six ways although apparently they end up splitting it eight ways because mike gets the extra two cents yes they do or maybe they just give mike the two cents oh, maybe that's left over since he's always giving them his two cents yeah <laughs> and then mike splits the two cents with carol and he said from me and the missus right so he's kind of making fun of mike, mr no. stoner well, no that's what i said the guy keeps saying from me yeah and so the mike says mike makes fun of him after he leaves i know, that's I, not, I know. he says oh the missus he, he says, me and the missus got a great bunch of kids yeah because he's somebody who's the yeah old. he is like he's an old, old poor dude. guy. Yeah, so let's make fun of him. Ha ha. And then in the end, of Isn't course, his colloquial way of talking. Carol so. and Mike are making yes. out in bed at the end. I wrote. Yeah, well, he gives her that penny, so it gets her all <laughs> hot and bothered because he's giving her money, and we know women like that. Oh, well, but then she gives it back because she wants to have more sex with him. Oh yeah. Well, they're gonna cost you money the rest of your life. Yeah, they you are. Us women. This episode, I'm not gonna be labor because I talk about it all the time, but because of just the setup of the battle of the sexes and not a focus on one specific kid I felt was less you know you knew what was going to happen yeah. and there don't seem to be a lot of things to talk about when you have an episode like this no there are because they've gone over this territory so many times yeah but like when Carol and, and Mike are talking to the kids they get a chance to say we share everything with you and we share all our riches with you with all of you blah 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 I'm like yeah okay so they got to validate the whole family dynamic again but I just feel like this episode was seen yeah. Yeah, it. it was just blah. It's probably hard to come up with scenarios every week. Well, like, you know, you know, it's their job. I know. All right, so episode eight of season two. We get into a much more a rich and compelling. Full of reasons. Yeah. This is what a lot of people will remember, I think, Buddy Hinton. I always remember the name Buddy Hinton. Yes. I don't know why. One thing I couldn't understand is why Peter and Cindy kept walking home the same way with Buddy Hinton standing under that same tree every day. Isn't there I another know, way to walk I home? I not. And I know it was 1970. They had speech therapy in school. Yes, thank in you. California I was had, a, had a wonderful public Well, and also system. we'll get to it once you Back start then. describing the episode, but their attempts to get Cindy to get rid of her lisp 
All right, very effective attempt. So I will say that Cindy, that Susan Olsen, in this episode, especially at the beginning, she shows she, well all throughout her acting. This it she actually gets to her. act. She's a very good actress. Yes, when she cries, and I don't want to compare it to any of the other female cast members, but I think she's probably the best actress of the three of them because she's able to be subtle and her sadness was believable. She doesn't act as babyish. In I this think one. yeah, I notice at least the first half of this episode she doesn't act nearly as babyish as she does yeah. a lot of the time so cindy and peter are walking home from school and this dickhead kid well doesn't it actually open where she comes home oh, she's she outside comes home crying she's on the patio she's crying she hides her tears she goes inside but she's still sad she snubs alice who's Poor all alice. Whoa, i know and so alice silly. has to and alice has to narc her out yes. to carol alice interestingly given a later episode yes. we talk about today I guess it's okay for adults to tattle. So somehow they get out of Cindy that well, she's being made fun well, of. Well, she was in upstairs crying and didn't want to come down to dinner. So Mike and Carol go up and she doesn't want to talk because of her lisp. And then they get out of her that she it's says they're saying I, I don't want to go to school because they're saying I talk And that's when funny. Carol says she grew up in Swampscott, Massachusetts. Yes, and only she lists lisp. the whole thing. She claims she had a lisp when she, she was little. Right. But apparently she doesn't have any really good ideas about how to get rid of a list. Except for to borrow, to borrow somebody, Bobby's Book of Tongue Twisters. Yes, and then try to force Cindy to say S words and S tongue twisters without ever going into any science behind a lisp and why she's doing it. Like when the boys are helping her, and she's got her tongue, her tongue is sticking, sticking out. out. I said her tongue is huge. Yeah, it's, put your fucking tongue uh, behind well, your teeth. Obviously it's her big tongue. <laughs> I'm like, put your fucking tongue between your teeth, behind your teeth and maybe you won't be lisping yeah but so, not to make fun of cindy because it's not her but she uh, yeah she needs major speech need, therapy yeah you need a speech therapist. and i know we had it in school because our sister liz had it because she had sibilant s's and i don't know what those are maybe that's lisping too although i don't remember her lisping did she lisp not like cindy yeah she no nobody lisps like cindy except for the creation of tv writers imaginations so they show Buddy Hinton waiting. And you know what? Fuck him. I would have just you know, been like, fuck you. I know. And keep walking. And his teasing is very unimaginative. I know. It's boring. But I have to interject here that uh, Peter, as always, is the guy with a lot of heart. And he sticks up for his little yes, sister. Yes, he does. He does stick up for her. And Peter says that they should just ignore him. And and, uh, and Peter makes he some tries attempts. to make Peter fight. And Peter and like, Peter no. doesn't want to fight. And so he gets called a chicken. And so he gets made fun of too. But Peter, he's a lover, not a fighter. Yes. So then he's talking in the boys' room. Does Cindy come in? Someone comes in, and Greg says, "This is man's business. Yes, man's <laughs> business, right?" They and of course Greg and Bobby, who's sometimes Peter like a fight. little mini Greg. Yes are really getting They on. think Peter's a pussy, I wrote. Sorry yes. to use that term. But, I know it's kind of not. I'm it, a feminist. But they do. Use it. Mike walks in during the harangue on Peter. The boys are haranguing him, I wrote. And Mike walks in. Of course, you know, he needs to explain. He kicks, yes, but he kicks the other two out so he can talk because he senses in a moment of insight <laughs> that Peter doesn't want to confess to his 
pacifistic side yes. in front so, of his more tells, violent brothers. Yes. And Mike, well, it's kind of Lord of the Flies type of thing. It was, egging each yeah. other on, which they do. Yeah. Mike tells Peter he should try to reason with Buddy. Which, mm. Yeah, so I, yeah. I would be like, just fucking that ignore That is him. always the worst. And we've seen it many TV shows, including, if I remember, A Courtship of Eddie's Father, where it turned out that the bully was Jodie Foster. Yeah, yeah, that's which right. was, of course, it a very sexy. <laughs> But, of course, she had a very asshole, tough father, not unlike in this. Yes. Spoiler right, alert. Well. But, you know, reasoning with the bully is never going to work. Because all it does is give the bully more ammunition. Just shit. You just to, either ignore him or whatever. Right. If he's not on you beating you up, just walk away. So, Peter tries to reason, and Buddy gives him a black eye. So, yes. Peter comes up with a big black eye. Alistair is putting a stake on his I eye. I know. And, and said it was tigers. And it's the first time we hear of tiger yes. in about tiger a has dozen returned. episodes. So, that's why I wanted to, I had to correct myself, because... Last episode, we... We, we thought that that was the end of tiger. And, and I'm not, I'm just telling everybody that because we he comes. We up haven't later. watched these episodes in a long time, and I had watched them a while ago. Tiger does, disappear. but you think I'd remember? But I he didn't. has a couple more yes appearances. But this he doesn't. There's no tiger. He just gets mentioned. I'm like, what? They're giving a huge steak to Tiger for dinner? Well, you know, maybe it was a bad piece a liver of meat or, or yeah. So Mike decides he's gonna go over to the Hinton's house and reason and with, reason Buddy, Hinton's with Buddy Hinton's father. And one thing that bothers me although it does come up and i know it's just a difference in the times now but if a kid gave another kid a black eye now there'd be hell to pay oh yeah but also buddy's treatment of cindy would be more of a concern yes, to it people would be quite concerning so we know that mr hinton's an asshole because he's old and his bad grammar and he yeah and blue collar he's, he's a blue, blue collar, collar type and the, the way he's dressed the shirt's a little tight looks exactly like and astroturf too <laughs> except for they have different bushes things are in uh, different and swing sets. things are in different places he's obviously and an mike, asshole mike does start to get angry and one thing i thought was funny <laughs> is when when hinton says to him you trying to preach to me and I said, <laughs> yes, what else is Mike going to do? Mike, but yeah. Mr. That's Hinton. how he rolls. <laughs> Mike's got to preach. If you're yeah. Mike, you got to preach. So he's not having any kind of a lecture. And Mike gets mad either. and leaves. So then Carol chides Mike. Yeah. She thinks Mrs. Hinton will be much better. Because women are different. Mrs. Hinton's is obviously a battered wife. wife. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Whatever her husband wants, she does. Yes, she stays she does. out of it. That's his. That's she doesn't question. And what's his name? Ralph or something. He has some yeah, blue name collar like that, yeah. name that they would give. Carol gets very frustrated because Mrs. Hinton agrees with Carol, but obviously. But her, she can't do anything about well, it. Well, her husband's obviously an abusive gonna man. going to beat the shit out of her. Yes. If she I just agree that. because, but she doesn't say that. What does she, she say? She says something about, well, he would get upset or something, or that's his, he'd tell me to buzz off. Yeah, he so told Mike to, tell buzz me to buzz off. Yeah. And then when Carol, like, slams out, it looks like an apartment, so I don't know where that yard came from. She, like, slams out through an interior door when she leaves Although maybe they're, they were Mrs. Hinton's sewing room or something. Yeah, maybe. Not the living it's room. It's just kind of weird. She comes back and she's all pissed off, and Mike, of course, starts kissing her on the neck well, on, that's yeah. And also, that's how you get a pissed off woman to quiet down. And then Ma tells Peter, you can fight. Right. Because Mike to. decides, okay, reasoning fuck isn't going to work. He so, says, it, uh, you know, instead of saying just ignore like, him. Fuck the Hintons. They all right. Suck. And I'm very disappointed. So Mike goes up. And, of course, Pete, thinking. He's sensitive. He is. And I, and I love him for it. Thinking that mom and dad <laughs> are going to reason with the Hintons is regaling Greg and Bobby 
with how if he had the chance, if mom and dad weren't going to fix it, he'd just beat the crap out of Buddy Hinton. But of course, dad comes up, they haven't fixed it, so he tells Pete it's okay to fight. Yeah, and go Pete, for in a it. very sweet, sensitive Aww. moment, tells his dad, of course, with the brothers not in the room, that maybe I am a coward. And Mike and assures scared. him that many men. Many brave, brave men, men are, scared. are scared. But what bothered me about that, too, is... You can be brave and scared. And still fight. But what bothers me about that is that they had to make him scared instead of make him say, Dad, I just don't want to fight with I people. Know. And it's funny because Mike says at some point, every man has to fight at some point. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I wonder how many men, and we're both in our 50s, how many men we know have gotten into fist fights? In their lives. I don't think any, well, I won't say any guy I ever dated, but I can only think of one that probably would have gotten into a fist fight with anyone. I remember once. I can only think of one. When I was, when I was working years ago, it wasn't my most recent newspaper job, to, there was a, two guys got in this conflict right on mm-hmm. deadline and one of them, they got into a big argument and I'm not going to mention their names. I don't think they listen to this, but... And one of them called the other one out, and they both went marching across the newsroom. And these are not tough guys. Like, they were going to have everyone go fight. Look. No, Sherry, the night editor, made them stop. And I think they were both very relieved. But when Mike says every man has to fight at some point, I felt like saying, Mike, when have you fucking but was, thrown a Yeah, punch? but if you watch TV back then, every, like, drama show, their yeah, guys would like get in a fight. Mod Squad. Mod Squad, Star Trek, Route 66, yes. always was a fight. But that's TV. I know. I'm thinking about real life. I mean, we should ask our dad, who turns 81 Saturday, if he's ever been in a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> our dad's kind of a little And our guy. brothers. You know, our, our dad would pummel somebody to death with verbiage. Uh, he'd try. I'm surprised he never got punched in the face Maybe when he was he younger. Maybe he did. We should ask no him. No offense, Dad, but he yeah, doesn't, he doesn't listen, listen anyway. either. So, I don't even think he knows about Peter, this podcast. Peter wants fighting lessons from Mike, and I had a hard time picturing <laughs> yes. Mike as a yeah, fighter. Yeah, well, Mike, when they're, and of course, Bobby's doing the fake, like, trainer thing with yeah. the towel in his pocket. <laughs> Ooh, tough guy. And um, it's cute, but it's affected. And not Bobby or Mike Lickenland's fault, but again, the writers or directors saying, okay, now you act like you're some trainer. But Mike's like, yeah, that's it. Jab, you know, tuck in your chin, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like like Mike fucking knows anything about boxing. Well, and then Pete is jump roping to train. Yes, <laughs> and Marcia says, oh, can I play like too? Chant. Marcia has a chant, and then Pete gets all disgusted and right. leaves. Yeah, because Marcia's obviously very good at jump roping, and Pete's having a horrible it's time at it. It's not easy. No, you have to be coordinated. I used to have fun jump roping. That's what we should do. That's good exercise. It is good exercise. Except for now, so my boobs. boobs. Yeah. So Alice is also teaching him boxing because she's such a tomboy. And to tell you the truth, I found that seemed very humorous. Yeah, and it looked like Chris Knight Mike did. The, yeah, yeah, in the gut. But before that, she's she's dancing. <laughs> she has actual boxing gloves yeah, on. So she's and she's dancing around, around the living, uh, the, the kitchen. The kitchen. And I think Christopher Knight actually he was, was having trouble keeping yeah. a straight face because at one point he even has his back to the camera. And it's, <laughs> and she was probably trying to make him laugh. She's pretty funny. I know. She was very funny in that, but then, of course, she twirls and throws a <laughs> waist-high punch right as Mike is walking into the kitchen and punches him in the stomach, which that was, was very funny. funny. It doesn't See, look like she pulled it, either, no. like the actress, <laughs> Amby Davis, pulled it. She probably was so sick of him. And I know I've said this before, but, like, the Schwartzes always say Bob Reed wasn't good at physical comedy, but he, he is. He is. Um, so... Uh, so Peter's in his room, and Cindy comes in and says, she tells 
tells Peter he doesn't need to fight because she's been because there's also been several scenes of her practicing her her, twisting and she and everybody's frustrated because she lisps a lot but but, you know just having somebody say s words over and over isn't going to keep them from lisping if they don't know what they're doing right. right and but cindy really gives it the college try um but then um it's a very sweet scene. At school. Well, it's... There. Talk more about this. So she comes in and tells Pete... He, he doesn't, doesn't need to fight. But it's a sweet scene because I almost feel like maybe I'm projecting too much. Probably. She, of all the people in the family, understands that Peter just doesn't want to yes, fight. Yes, she does understand And that. he's been practicing and I, he's been very game. It's not that he's afraid. It's I don't just think that he, he doesn't just want doesn't want to yeah, fight. I understand that. It's he's a, a pretty easygoing and it's kid. A, and I I think it's a sweet scene. You yeah. don't, and I realize you don't see many scenes between those two. No. And I think I know, it was nice to see them together. I think this they're both the, like the sweetest characters yeah. on the show. And I really, you know, I have a soft spot for Peter anyway. But yeah, he's my favorite. Yeah. Then when they're walking home, oh, guess who's crowd. under that tree? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Peter's like, why are all these people walking <laughs> with us? And Cindy's like, because well, of the fight. Because he told her there probably won't be a fight. Yes. But it's just like, now this is where I was going to say, just like in high school, the word <laughs> will go around that these two people are going to have a oh, fight. Yeah. They're going to have a fight. You go down to the parking lot at Whippers. Or, well, I remember one when I was in high school, and at the time our high school in Augusta, Maine was right on the road there. Yeah. I remember one in the middle of Coney Street, ah. and my memory is that there were, and I remember it was cold out, it was winter, and there was snow everywhere, that the circle of kids was Around the street. Now, I don't know if traffic was stopping. It probably was. Or, you know, and it didn't last long because some of the macho men teachers always they had to always come had out to come and break, break it up before or, anyone threw a punch. Well, I usually. dated I dated a guy who was um, a coach, a high school coach, many years later, obviously, not when I was in high school. Yeah, and once we were sure. driving, I was giving a ride somewhere, we were driving, and there were two kids fighting on the sidewalk a couple blocks from the high school and he made me stop so he could go, go break it <laughs> up. They love to break I know, they love to break up fights. So that's what they remind me. So all these people are there for the fight. Um... And Buddy does force him into fighting. He won't he does. Peter buy. Well, he says, well, let's fight, let's fight. But there's an, interesting chicken, little, there's an interesting little thing. He starts making fun of Cindy. Peter, you know, some shows would have him immediately throw a punch. Yes. Peter still tries to tell Buddy yes, it's dumb and everything. Buddy starts making fun of Peter, and Peter doesn't care. No. And then you see Buddy's, the little wheels in his head turning, and he realizes the one thing that's going to piss Peter off is making fun of Cindy. Yes. So he turns and really goes hard on Cindy, and that's what and gets Peter, Peter pissed punches off. punches him in the face. And well, well Buddy down. goes to punch Peter, and Peter gets out of the way, and Buddy stumbles, and then Peter has a really lucky, and it isn't a straight punch, it's like one of those downward, yeah. I don't know if there's a name for it, but... I think it's almost considered a dirty punch because you're punching he down. He called it a left hook, but he did. Yeah, because he did it with his left. But he's punching down into Buddy's face. Ah. Buddy's, Buddy's like a little lower because Buddy's a bigger kid yeah. than Peter. But Buddy's kind of recovering from stumbling. And so if you look at the punch, it's like a kind of real nasty downward punch right into mm, his face. Just then Buddy, its teeth get knocked out. So he's lisping. And he's crying. And he's crying. He's lying he's on the ground crying. and all, Baby and, face. And another scene I like. Another little moment. Cindy uses this opportunity to tease Buddy. And Peter admonishes her, telling her it's just as wrong for her to do it as it was for Buddy. And you know, when Peter... Which is very much... 
uh, very mature because a lot of 12-year-olds would, would join right the same in. thing that Cindy did and, and join the group. And what I liked about it, too, is, you know, when Peter says shit like that, it comes off as a lot more sincere than when you hear Mike, one of Mike's <laughs> lectures. <laughs> and but, Bunny runs away because he's a little... But, I feel like one of the things, and this comes up in later episodes today, too, you know, we talked about how Sherwood Schwartz, that feels like one of those tongue Sherwood twisters, Schwartz. picked out the kids based on their personalities and let their personalities dictate their characters. And when he has them, when the plots focus on one of the kids and their personalities come out, it makes it richer. And that probably would have been a totally different storyline if it had been Greg or Bobby. Yeah. But you you feel that Peter's being... He's really sincere yes. when he's upset. Somebody's teasing yes. his sister, even though she's a stepsister and they haven't known each other for very long. But he's but, protective of but, her. And he's a sweet kid and he doesn't want to fight. And I was pleased, and I remember when I was a kid too, I was pleased that he didn't he really didn't, want yes. to fight even after he had had the fight training from his... Because there were other shows... Bloodthirsty father and brother. There other show, family shows from that era where it was a similar plot and... And the kid becomes a fighter. And it's similar to the trope that we'll see later today where the girl has to become feminized to be attractive to boys. The boy has to become machoized to become manish. And this comes up again, and it's with Peter later in the... Yeah, so... It's in the guest star, remember that? Mike and Carol are sitting in the living room. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do. And the doorbell rings, and it's Buddy Hinton, but they don't know who he is at first. They let him in, and he asks to see Cindy. And they act like, who in the fucking world would want to talk to Cindy? <laughs> Especially this big kid. Yeah. I'm with your boyfriend. <laughs> he tells him he's Buddy Hinton, and they're like, hmm. And he wants to borrow her tongue twister book, because, because he lisps. Now, how is that going to fucking help? I don't know. It isn't going to help. It didn't help her. And also, he has a loose tooth, which can be fixed, and oh, he will no shit. longer lisp, if that is even what would... But maybe we can take it for the peace offering it is. His and, way of apologizing. And then Carol says... Oh, I'm glad you're friends now. And Mike says, have you learned anything from this experience? <laughs> Looking for an opportunity to maybe and lecture. And says that Peter has a really good left hook. Yeah. And ah, ha, ha, that's so yeah, funny. And I think Mike's a little proud because Peter turned out to Instead be the more Instead of manly. Buddy saying that it's wrong to pick on a little yeah. kid. Yeah. And I thought he was there to apologize, but apparently... I did too, but no. I think it was his way of apologizing, obviously, from the but family. But you know what? Fuck, I hate that, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's I like, too. fucking apologize. Don't fucking... Oh, I'm gonna, like, make this gesture to you, but I'm not gonna fucking yes. apologize. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I know. I think we're bringing some of our own issues into this. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally agree okay, with that. Sir, right? but, anyway, but I But I did think this was a good example of a personality-based, and it was, and Cindy, too, I think they gave Susan Olsen yes. a chance to yes, just to not show. be the stupid, because, as I've said before, yeah, she wasn't of all the this. kids... She was more normal in this. Right, of all the kids, she's the one who least gets to be herself. Like I said at the beginning, her act is very good for a child actor. Yes. You're kind of used to, when you watch a lot of shows with kids in them, you get used to the varied acting talents of kids, and some really aren't that great and part of it i think yeah. is the directors too yeah and in that era there i think there wasn't as much coaching coach and yeah and people well, didn't expect them to be well, great lloyd actors schwartz you know says, if they could say the lines they were happy right lloyd schwartz says in the schwartz book that what he used to do is say the lines to the kids the way he thought they should say them and they'd say them back 
because some of them were experienced actors and this was kind of how they... But I think her facial expressions and her, when somebody else is acting, how she is, she's reacting to Yes, them. she does. And I noticed... Which a lot of the other ones sometimes don't. Yes. In fact, you can see, and that's when we talked last week about the close-ups, how they were yes. doing a lot of close-ups. And I realized the close-ups are more not for the person who's saying the lines, but because of the other people yeah. in the room. It reminded me of... I read I read an interview with Spencer Tracy once. And he you did. Was, <laughs> Sorry. And, yes, I did. And that's the entire story. No, and he was talking about how when he first started, like in the 30s, being in movies, and everybody was very stiff. And he'd do things like he just like... Or maybe it was somebody talking about him. He'd like just scratch his nose mm-hmm. or something. And directors would say, wait, cut, what are you doing? And he'd be like, I'm listening to what that guy's saying. Yeah. Like, And people always talk about how Spencer Tracy, he was one of the first actors who was actually part of his acting. He was listening. And it's funny because one of these episodes of The Six, and I can't remember which one it was today because I didn't write it down, but somebody's talking mm-hmm. and Christopher Knight is listening and he kind of like scratches his arm. And I'm like, oh, somebody's doing something normal while they're listening. Because some of them, and I'm sorry, poor Eve Plum, but she just seems like she doesn't know what to do with herself Mm. when someone else... And I haven't seen, like I noticed earlier episodes, sometimes she'd be mouthing the lines of the other person before she said I read an interview with Will Smith once. and uh, Oh, good. He was talking about... Oh, wait, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) He was talking about when he first was... Which I never watched, really, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I used to like that show. It was uh, an interview with him much later. But he said he can't even watch it because he used to do that. He'd mouth the other person's line. Right. So maybe you learn all the lines so you can... Yeah, so you can know when yours is coming. Which I can understand, too. Right. Uh, You'd like to think it's a more organic thing where, okay, I'm in this scene. Let's just say for the sake of me telling the story, Jan, she's Marsha, and I'm going to be reacting to what she's saying. Okay, let's go. But instead, it's more of a stiffer... These like, are the lines okay, we I've all have to I've got to wait when she says that. I'm going to, yeah, right. you're thinking about it. And maybe part of it is once you become a better actor, you learn more. It's like learning language or something. You learn more to react organically than it being well, all by And then probably it's just like anything else. It's probably a talent yeah, for yeah, some people. she was people a little kid. And, you know. But speaking of Jan, the next Ugly Duckling, and and I remember this so well, and it's funny, the same, watching it again, the same things that bothered me 40-whatever years ago bothered me today. Well, and I said to you before we started taping, if you say the name George Glass to a lot of people... And I thought... They will know he's the fake boyfriend. And now this is going to be something totally esoteric that a lot of people aren't going to relate to. But I thought it was striking that one of the more famous quote-unquote journalists who made things up was named Stephen Glass. Oh, yeah. The movie, if you haven't seen it, you'd like it. The movie... Shattered Glass. Yes. And I, so that's what I thought that's of. Interesting. But when I was a little kid, I, I didn't... Philip it, Glass, the composer, because uh, I saw him once in concert. But in any case, when I was a little kid, none of that had happened no. with Stephen Glass. But, but the thing knew George Glass. But the thing that bothered me when I was a little kid still bothered me today, and I don't want to give away the suspense of us talking about the plot by <laughs> revealing to much for those of you who don't remember everything that happened, but that 
I felt like, and it, when I was a little kid, I would have thought of it differently and expressed it differently, but still kind of the same thing. Jan has some issues. Oh, yeah. And the issues she has aren't addressed, and the message no. she ends up getting today is you need to be... You need to be more girly. You need to be... And maybe it's because I was, and I hate this term, but I was a tomboy, and I hate the fact that you have to be labeled something if you don't act like girls are yeah, supposed to act you have to be labeled as a tomboy or... and nobody in this episode says she's a tomboy but and, later and the thing that kills me is she's Jan she hasn't is... acted like a tomboy for the she's first season feminine. and she's a she's, she's a very feminine, feminine. she's got that girl. long blonde hair and, uh, that and also always... she's 11 i know i know but, well i've i i but we let's notes. get into it so, so so jan is all a flutter because she's in the family room studying with clark tyson who looks just like jim carrey except he does. He, he does look like a small Jim Carrey, and he's supposedly the grooviest looking boy in school. He's got a bowl haircut and big bulging eyes that looks like he <laughs> might have a thyroid condition. And But in any case, he doesn't seem that into her. Anyway, he's on the couch. She's at the table. Yeah, she's she, doing all the work. I know, and she asks a question or two just to get him to come over to and, her. you know, because part of the little message there is you I'm have to... i a helpless female. Yes. Can you help me? And uh, Marsha comes flouncing into the room. And she does... I think she fucking flirted with him. Yeah, she did flirt with him. Hi! And the- he and his bulging eyes <laughs> come right out of his head. <sighs> and he's like drooling. And I think she senses his interest in her. Because she's like... <laughs> and, and, but before that happens, Jan goes in the kitchen to get some apples and Carol and Alice are in there. And Jan's like, yeah! And she's like, a little... A little, yeah. A a little little too excited. Well, like, there's always this underlying hysteria. Yes! emotions. Yes. And so she goes running back in with the apples. And then Marsha shows up. And then, of course, Jan. And just to get the suspense out of the way, this is not the episode where Jan says Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. No, she does not say Marsha, For any of you hoping that that happens. But there's a lot of other good stuff. So Jan, she's pissed at Marsha. Yeah. And Marsha kind of is very mean to her and well, says, like, if you're not physically attractive yes. to boys... If boys don't find you attractive, don't blame it on me. And then Which Jan gets... Is fucking bitchy. I know. And then Jan gets very upset. But and and Marsha kind of looks after her as Jan walks out of the room. Well, like, yeah, I wonder Marcia what Marsha was in a daze gazing at herself in the mirror, yeah. like Doing the fake hair. hairbrush. And, and, then, the, and then she goes... And then when Jan comes in and says that, Marsha's just kind of like, oh, what's her problem? Like, And Jan's, of well, course, Jan accuses her of trying to steal her boyfriend and Marsha's oh wait she she what did she say said Marsha came slinking in (laughs) she she says Marsha came slinking in in, and then she like kind of um and Marsha Marsha makes this remark about him being a younger man and and, I'm a woman and Jan's like he's 12 (laughs) (laughs) I guess Jan's 11 but she's gonna turn 12 so so I'm sorry then Mike and Carol come in to talk to Marsha, and they kind of blame Marsha. Well, are you sure you weren't like flirting with yeah. him? And she's like, no, bother her, Mother, right? And she explains, I'm a woman, and she she mansplains sibling rivalry, oh, yes, to Mike, Greg, which Mike is bemused by because here's somebody doing his job. Because Mike, as we're seeing now, when one of the kids is an expert on something, he's very dubious and bemused by it, mm-hmm. even though they're just throwing back in his face what he's taught them to do. Kind of rolls his eyes, yeah. Like, oh, isn't that funny? Yeah, <laughs> she knows. Thing. So she goes, Jan goes in to ask Greg, I, <laughs> and I found the scene disturbing. It disturbed me very for much. when I was a kid, and I find it disturbing now. And Greg is clueless. Whenever somebody asks you for a friend, a friend. and actually, I think Eve Plum does a good acting job in this scene. Yes. 
But she asked Greg, you know, there's this girl and a boy was interested and now he's not. Why would that happen? And Greg says, well, she must have, what, a face like a... Uh, that scares snakes or, or something, something. Like that. And... Jan's like no. no and he goes well is she too fat too, too fat and she kind of looks at herself and goes no and he goes well is she too thin and she goes no and he said well then it's got to be her face and my issue when I was a kid is and like when I and my issue now is so there's no other reason a boy would be interested in a girl or a man would be interested in a woman except for her physical attributes yeah I know and that's if she's ugly I, he's not gonna me. like her that's what and me. so and of course Jan or she's too fat or too thin and of course Jan gets that message too Aww. because she holds it together and walks out of the room and Greg's like who is this friend and and Jan says oh just some poor unfortunate girl and you feel kind of bad for her, and she walks out of the room, and she kind of holds it together, but she decides it's her freckles that are the problem, because she's a very pretty little girl, and they don't say that on the show, but what else is it going to be but her freckles? So she goes (laughs) to the store, and I kind of like the drugstore clerk. He was very, and she's wearing like this Jackie Onassis (laughs) scarf and sunglasses, sunglasses. and he's very sensitive, and doesn't want her to waste her money on shit that isn't going to work, but tells her to try lemon juice, or tell her friend to try lemon juice on her freckles. You can tell he thinks she's cute and that the freckles aren't a problem. So she has this big bowl of lemons and she's rubbing them on her face. And Bobby and Cindy, who inexplicably, oh, trickery. We got to talk about that before we, we don't know when Jan's birthday is. So Carol and Mike and Alice apparently inexplicably decide that the way to make Jan feel That's better... That's cure-all, though, for everything. Look, right, because they think she's lovelorn. Yeah, so let's have a party. Her birthday's coming up. We're not sure when. But first, Alice says, well, maybe we can give her some of her presents early. Oh, yeah. And then they're like, no, let's have a surprise birthday party. And it is a surprise because it's not her birthday when it happens. But they will cheer her up. But, but every time they have a party for somebody, that doesn't work. And yet... And yet they do it. Although this one kind of works. So... Cindy and Bobby have to hide her birthday presents and inexplicably decide to hide them in the girls' bedroom under Cindy's bed, where you would think if they put them in the boys' room, Jan isn't even going to look for That's them there. That's true. And doesn't know they're having a surprise party. goes into the boys So they hear bed. her coming and hide under the bed and get to watch her try rubbing the lemons <laughs> on her face. And she's furiously trying to rub these lemons and her freckles aren't going away. So Jan thinks it's the freckles. Freckles. But she's in the bathroom. And she overhears Greg and Peter talking about some new girl. Oh, that's girl. right. She's in the bathroom rubbing the lemons and on her. Peter says there's a new girl at school who's out of sight. And Greg's like, oh, really? What does she look like? I haven't seen her yet. Just from a distance. And he says she has crazy eyes and tons of freckles. Jan looks in the mirror and says, there goes your last excuse. Yeah. It's not the freckles. It's just dumb old you. And, and she runs she, into her room sobbing. sobbing. And, and then she's not hungry. And then, and then Bobby says, you know, Jan's acting all weird and she was rubbing lemon juice on her face and now she's crying or whatever so mike and carol very concerned they know the drill march up the stairs go into the room in tandem and as usual there's a child lying on the bed not hungry crying if it's a girl she's crying if it's a boy they're just not hungry yeah. they try to comfort her and they think like i said she's lovelorn well mike says she'll meet hundreds of boys hundreds and thousands in her future <laughs> job as a Helper. escort Carol says she shouldn't be upset because she doesn't have a boyfriend. No shit, she's 11. (laughs) I know. Jesus. So, Jan, instead of saying, it's not that, it's that I'm ugly, 
turns over to face them with this maniacal, yes, crazed look on her face. She has a crazy gleam it's in like her eye. It's like bringing the shock treatment, yes, yes. you know, and says, oh, but I do have a boyfriend. His name is George, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, what's his last name? And she she's like, and then she looks and sees a glass. A glass and says, George Glass. And he's wonderful and he carries my train. I to remember that <laughs> watching that when I was little and thinking that this isn't right. Yeah. And I was probably like six. Yeah. And so then she has to, of course, keep up the ruse of having yes. a fake boyfriend. But before that, I just need to interject. Peter does an abstract expressionist painting. That they ridicule. <laughs> and it's, I think it's a good painting. I thought it was, well, what I liked is he said, they said, what is it? And he said, a painting, which yeah. is what I always say. That's what artists like to say. Yes. It's a painting. It's not supposed to be anything. It's a fucking well, painting. But then he has to, I felt like to humor them, say that it's an elephant in the woods. And Mike does this thing as though Peter's oh, like two years old. Oh, yeah. You can see the elephant. Carol says, oh, there's an elephant. And That's Peter's like, uh, it's just, that's just a bunch of trees, the elephants here. So here he is, Sweet Peter, has created this painting that I think is kind of cool to give to Jan for her birthday, and Mike and Carol have to ridicule him. I know, it's weird. The house with no creativity. What I was confused about, Jan's bragging about George to Greg and Peter. Peter. And Peter. Yeah. Don't they go to the same school? Like, she makes it sound like he's in school with them, and they're like, right. And they're very curious about well, him. So Jan does something that you can't do these days. No. She calls the operator and has the operator ring their number to say, we think we're having trouble with there the bell. There used to be a number you could put in to make it re-ring, too, because we used to do it yes, all the time when we, we were kids. we used to do it constantly, but she doesn't do that. She calls the operator, and... They give, weirdly, a real number instead of the classic TV 555. It's like 772-something. And so Marsha's bragging about some regaling them all with some story about how she made all the other girls jealous because some boy was flirting with her. And Mike mentions the name Gordon. <laughs> yeah, Gordon. <laughs> Gordon. And she's like, oh, father, that was weeks ago. Wasn't now, now it's like, and you know, it's like you don't know the players without a scorecard as far as Marsha's concerned. And Jan feels the urge the compulsion <laughs> to have George Glass call. So she tells Alice that there's no pickles on the table, which I guess is a staple of American yeah. meals everywhere. In the 70s. So Jan goes in the kitchen ostensibly to get the jar of pickles, but instead calls the operator, has her call, phone rings, she does the classic, I'll get it, and it's George Glass, and it's she goes, George. oh, of course I can talk. Oh, hello, George. And... I would think Mike Brady would have a rule that you're not on the phone at dinner time. I and know, would tell her to hang up the phone. When people, back when people used to have the dinner together, it's you like did you not. Don't, you don't take calls. You do not time, answer the no. phone. And so or if somebody calls you, like, you I'm say, I'm sorry, dinner. I'm having dinner, and I'll call you back after dinner. And Mike seems like the type who would have that rule. But for this occasion, for the so they decide they're going to invite George to the surprise party. If they can only find this George class. I always hate that, like in books too, and on TV shows, this when it's somebody, people, this, when they this? say, this, this George. Person. Or, so you said, oh, never mind, I won't get into So, the kids all become detectives. And Marcia's smart and goes to the attendant's office. And there's no George Glass in that school. That'd be funny if there actually was. The other kids. Remember. Yeah, they thought he was. <laughs> but then that would be that would be reminiscent of the Linda thing when oh, Greg yeah, had a crush on yeah, his teacher. Yeah. So they realize that maybe Jan, Mike and Carol do. Mike and Carol realize that maybe George is made up. And instead of sitting down and talking to their obviously deeply disturbed, troubled daughter 
who's only 11, so things are only going to get worse if she has mental illness. They decide. What do they decide? That some trickery. Yes, we need to do mind games. When they decide to invite George Glass to the birthday party, and one of them says, well, you know how crazy Jan is about George Glass, and I want to say, remove the about George (laughs) Glass part, and it says how crazy Jan is. Well, before um, they decide to ask Jim Carrey Jr., why he didn't Clark like. Tyson. Yes, Clark Tyson. And he says, well, Jan, all the guys like her. She's a great guy, but she's... She doesn't wear groovy clothes and stuff. Right. Like other girls So do. Like real girls do. So the answer to that is to trick her up like little prostitute. Actually, no, they more they dress her up. They put her in a very dressy dress. They put her in a very dressy dress that's almost kind of Victorian. She looks like Alice in Wonderland yeah, or something. That's, that's and Clark, back then. Clark just happens to be outside. Still. Oh, because he's friends with Peter, right? Yeah, and Marsha's washing the car. And Mike comes out with his movie camera, and she's like, Father, don't take a... a and look, oh, oh, I look awful. And of he's like... Of course she assumes it's going to be... He's going but to be filming like, no, and so, Get over yourself, Marsha. And so he aims it at the door, the glassless. at the fake... <laughs> at the glassless sliding door. And oh. who comes out dressed in her finery? Her pretty blue dress. They parade her in front of Clark, whose eyes pop out, who re- realizes Chan is a girl, not a guy. She makes a great-looking girl. She makes a. He tells her, yes, you make a great-looking girl. Because before she, he had said you. she's one of the guys or she's a guy, and this is the first we learned that Chan actually isn't as feminine as a girl could be. They have the party. They have the party. Clark's and there in a vest and yes, like a and and Chan's like, I couldn't have been more surprised. And I'm like, yeah, because it's not your fucking birthday. <laughs> and she's wearing a frilly pink dress. Yes, time. and of course, Clark's Gaga, and then a little boy makes some play for Cindy. And Mike and Carol like that. Oh, and that's it. Yeah, Mike's like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you know. And so the lesson, what is the lesson that, that we learn well, from this episode? Well, if you're too masculine, you're not going to get a guy. Right. To fix your You've child. to be pretty. Because that's the only thing they care about. Wear and this be clothes. This isn't us. This is the, the show saying it. And yeah, if you're, obviously it's not us. You don't. And if your child has self-esteem issues, instead of helping bolster them being themselves, what you do is you force them to be someone else that people will like. Yes. Jan, you know, you are a little nuts. And if people don't like you, then you need to be someone else. Well, the also, if you are going to be nuts, you better be pretty good looking because you're not going to get a guy. Because God forbid you aren't physically attractive. Even Cindy. It's weird how they think it's cute. And this kid, he's like, Ew. I think it almost looks like he's about to embrace her weirdly. But then he's he like doing kneeling. something. He and, was, and Cindy's uh, yeah, she's in one of her like, baby <laughs> doll dresses again laughing. So I found that I remember this episode well. And it used to bother me it's as a child. Last thing well, th- that bothered me because it bothers me when people, I don't know, it just was a, a kind Concept like on, and when I was a kid on a TV show when somebody was being deceptive yes. about something, and they were somebody they weren't a bad guy or somebody, but they were somebody who's somebody you're supposed to identify with or care about, but they're being really deceptive in a way that's going to embarrass them. It's going to embarrass them, and, that, you, and you can feel and that humiliate yeah. them. Yes. And it you bothered me a that. lot, but it also bothered me because you know everybody's got a unique personality, and I was I was not a girly girl or anything like that, and it bothered me that I was constantly seeing a message on TV. Not not only to be attractive to boys, which of course is the be all and end all if you're female Still and what is. you're supposed to be, 
But just to be acceptable and to be considered normal, you have to be a feminine, stereotypical yeah. girl where you get the label tomboy. Because there isn't a similar label for boys. I mean, there's the insulting sissy, yeah, it's which insulting. nobody wants to be. Well, because it's being attempting to be masculine is, is kind of okay. But if you're really trying to be feminine, well, then there's something wrong with that. Attempting to be, well, I'm talking I mean, about the girl side. I know that's and you're not attempting to be masculine, but if you have a personality that doesn't fit yes, this very rigid stereotype of and i think the stereotype for how girls were supposed to act back then was more rigid in oh, a lot yeah. of ways than boys you needed a different label girl isn't good enough but you needed a label that immediately told people and you still see it you're reading people magazine or something about an actress oh i was a tomboy when i was a kid people can't just say oh i climbed trees and played ball I when i was an a active kid, kid. I, I was, I was, an active I kid. was athletic or right whatever. they yeah. have to label themselves you know and why and i never even understand what that means tomboy well i don't know where it came i don't know the origin of it but the but the existence yes. of it bothers me because even today people don't see I it don't as really a problem like, not, yeah, I don't and like it's like one. if you're a girl who doesn't act like a girl you need this label yes. that tells everyone i'm not a real girl yeah and it's very disturbing to me but nobody calls jan a tomboy they just say she's one of the guys mm-hmm. so in any case we move on to episode 10 the tattletale and this is another classic susan olsen's least favorite episode yes in fact we can talk about at the end yes what what she says about it if i can before we get too much into this i want to point out because i always watch the credits now when Ah. i watch them it took two men usually there's one writer credited it took two men to write this shameful Mm. episode of the brady bunch you know something gotta make a paycheck Alice is cooking again, as always. Why they're not? They must eat 500 like pounds. I know. Why aren't they all fat? Well, sometimes she dusts if it's important yes. to the plot for her to be in the same room. And she's serving breakfast, and it's Greg and Cindy and, and Mike and Carol. The rest aren't down yet. There's banging and stuff. There's construction noises that sound like they're right in the same room. It's very like annoying. Hammering. And they're saying, God, when is that renovation? When is the No, Liston's they say, what is that? And Cindy said, oh, that's the Liston's renovation, renovation. and it's going to be done Friday. And she said that Mr. and Mrs. Liston had a fight because Mr. Liston said, oh, now your mother's going to come stay forever. And Mike and Carol admonished her for listening to someone else's conversation. And you know what my thought was? If they were my child, I'd say future journalist and i would be very proud i would be like really what else did they say (laughs) did they say anything about us it's sunny list in the boxer i know did they no because black people don't live in their neighborhood probably not and then mike goes to put salt (laughs) on his on his breakfast and the lid comes off the salt shaker and, and the whole thing dumps on. And he's all like annoyed. And Cindy says that Peter used the salt shaker top to strain a guppy out of his out of the fish tank that we never see. Yes, which Mike was annoyed. I think there might be a fish tank and in the room. And to sometimes. tell you the truth, if I were a parent, I would want to know that because this I is food. Be, I know. And so already it's like I don't understand what the uh, issue is. So Greg calls her a tattletale. Carol says to Greg, that's enough, Greg. But then mm-hmm. Mike and Carol both tell Cindy it's wrong to tell on other people, to rat out people. Yeah, and Greg's cattle. disdain for Cindy you is know. very clear. Yeah, and all I can think of is somebody needs to say, snitches get stitches. <laughs> I know, no one said that yet. So the next scene is Carol and Cindy are in the family room. Carol's shortening Cindy's dress. Why? I don't know, because, because they're already can't see enough of her underwear. Enough. 
and Greg walks in and Carol says, you didn't wear those those old jeans. I don't think she calls them jeans, those old pants. I'd be more concerned like about the green jeans. plaid shirt that he wears in every episode. Of- Sometimes he wears a, he was wearing like a mustard colored one. He has like two. And Greg's like, oh, they're comfortable. And Cindy's like, no, you ripped your other ones playing basketball. And Carol's like, why didn't you tell me? And Greg's like, oh, he calls Cindy a squealer. Mm. And then Cindy's like, and then he asked Alice to mend them so you wouldn't know. Mm. And Carol's like, Cindy. And uh, Greg's like, oh, what does he call her? See, it's time for somebody to shiv real. her in he, the prison I don't yard. Know, but he calls her, oh, he calls her a, a squealer and a blabbermouth. Yeah. And instead of admonishing him for yeah, calling a sister names. You know, because that was acceptable. They're always calling each other <laughs> names true. like that. Carol tells her that she's not supposed to tattle. She's like, don't you remember that talk we had this morning? And I think it's mainly the reason people don't like tattling authority figures is because they don't want to deal with whatever the person's telling yes, them about. Because first it has of all, nothing to do with whether it's right or because wrong. Because if you look at it a more realistic thing, okay, if you're the other kids, you don't want a tattletale. And yeah. that's why snitches get stitches. That's right. But if you're the parents, you need that mole so you know what's going on because there's a lot of things your kids I aren't going to tell you and you need somebody running to you. And I can never understand, and as this episode goes on too, why they never explain well to Cindy why tattling's bad. No. They never explain to her the difference between tattling and giving needed information. Or, yeah. And they don't explain to either her or the audience, like me, why what she's doing is so much worse than what, you know, like Greg, for instance, calling his little sister names. Now, I know that's okay to do on this show, <laughs> but it, nobody says, you know, Greg, we'll deal with Cindy by the way you're acting isn't acceptable either, or anything like that. It's like, okay, let's have this episode where she's a tattletale, but they don't develop Yeah, and they why. can't think of why it's wrong. Right. When Mike comes home from work, he and Carol lament Cindy's blabbing, and what are we yes. going to do about it? Yeah, that, yeah, and you and then, almost want to say to them, well, maybe if you weren't so mind-fucky with your kids all the time. <laughs> you know, there wouldn't be a show. So they're standing there talking, and fucking Tiger runs out of Mike's study. With a golf t- ball. Tiger looks a, a little bit smaller and different yeah, than he was. Yeah, he's, he's lost weight. He has a golf ball. And my dog Dewey used to like golf balls, so and I can identify he was running, that. and Mike's like, oh, that's And this is the first time we've seen actually seen Tiger yes. in many you episodes. You know what I thought would be funny, because when I was thinking how it's a different dog. It'd be funny if there was a show where every single episode the dog was like a different breed. I know, that would be funny. <laughs> no one ever funny. It's like Spinal it. Tap with a different drummer. Yeah, and the drum- I, 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 but my thought about Tiger 2 is... That he's a kleptomaniac, if dogs Well, that was a second thought. <laughs> I, I always picture the writers sitting around coming up with this stuff. And, okay, we have a plot that needs to turn on something important disappearing... How are we going to do that? And then somebody remembers, hey, remember how we had, like, Tiger and Kitty Kitty Carryall and everything? (laughs) You know, so the first time we see Tiger, we know that the plot is going to hinge on Tiger because it's just like every other show where you see a character that you haven't seen before. or for a while. Or for a while, that the plot is going to hinge on that character. But one thing I will say, there's a consistency here. For instance, we haven't seen a lot of evidence of Cindy being a tattletale, although now it's this crisis. Yes. Although she has talked without thinking. Yeah, well, she is impulsive that way in the baby. But at least Tiger is consistent. Yes. Because we had Kitty Carryall. He's a fucking kleptomaniac dog. But at least he doesn't chew the stuff off. After the golf ball, he also takes Mike's tuxedo vest into his. Interesting. And they just let him just take the stuff. They know he's going (laughs) into his doghouse with it. He's like a hoarder dog in there. I know. I know. And then the next scene. Can we talk about Alice and her contest entries? Oh, yes. Which is. 
there's another inconsistency because Mike ridicules her. Oh, Alice, not another contest. Like, she's one of the kids are saying, what's it to fucking him if she's entering yeah, no shit. shingle contests and stuff? And also... She's got to do something uh, with her life. I know. Apparently she... She's pine over this fucking sand. Apparently she has this obsession with entering contests. Which we've never seen which before. Which we've never seen since, before. And so they're very unsupportive. They make fun of her and ridicule her. Yes, they do. Kind of like they did with Peter with his abstract art painting. Aww. They're just not creative couple no, of people they're almost and like I robots like jingles too. i did too and i, I, I like give it i give alice credit for having a sense of humor and for having some creative thought yes. which isn't big in this family and that's a subplot that will play kind of into yes, the main plot. yes it ties into the main plot the scene is cindy is in the boys room she goes into bobby's room to borrow something and he and he's like, doing no, his I'm homework and he and, and he said no i'm not helping a snitcher and she's like well then i'm gonna tell what you and did when, and mike is coming on the hall and over here and mike comes walks in. in and cindy tries to snitch on whatever bobby did yesterday and mike doesn't want to hear it yeah but then he hits bobby on the head with his hat yeah there's a lot of pummeling and so the kids decide they're going to start yeah they don't shunning talk. her yes, they shun her and, they but you notice in, in the generic sex separations the girls are talking about makeup and stuff oh, yeah. and then when cindy comes they don't want to talk to her and then the boys greg and bobby bobby's telling greg some story about something he did at school where he had a lizard in a box and snuck in and was gonna and then they cindy comes and they don't want to talk in front of her they have to talk about these very gender specific they do. things mike and carol notice that the other kids are teaching Cindy. And yes, I know. They, I, they seem quite... Carol says that with a lot of relish. Yes, like, yes. the trickery... The and, kids are teaching Cindy And this, this yeah. really... Yes, the kids are really teaching her a lesson They've because they're so shunning well. her. They're shunning her and not speaking to her. And I have to say, Cindy actually takes it pretty well. But Carol seems to relish that. Oh, yes. And I'm like, why is doing this better than because tattling? Because the Brady way. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a rhetorical question. But I'm like, so that's okay. It's yeah. okay. She's, she's what, eight years old? I know. And it's, it's okay, okay for, for them. To shun her. It's okay for like a 14 or 15-year-old or whatever Greg is to ridicule and treat his eight-year-old sister yes. like this. I and for everybody to shun her and not talk to her. And apparently goes on for days and days. Oh, poor Cindy. And Cindy's soldiering up, though. She's taking it like well, a... She, maybe she did learn her freaking lesson. Alice mentions that she's going to a dance with Sam. She still has her she's uniform She's pretty on. excited about it. And the doorbell rings just as the phone. Well, by, well, well part of, Cindy's in the kitchen with her because the kids won't play with her. Although oh, she yeah. doesn't say that to Alice. She says she doesn't want to play kids' games anymore. And, and Alice, and Alice, she Alice wants is to help making Alice something cook. chocolate, it looks yes, like. Yes, a cake or something. And Alice is like, and Cindy's like, I want to help you. And Alice is like, well, I'm almost done because I'm going to this dance with Sam. Yes. Yeah. Alice has got to get ready. And the doorbell rings. Alice goes to answer the door, and the phone rings. So Cindy says, I'll get it, Alice, which is like, no shit. Because normally, I guess it's Alice's job to answer the phone since she's the help. And there's a, a registered letter for Alice Nelson. She won the contest, and she's very excited and hugs the mailman several times. And it's Sam on the and phone. And it's Sam on the phone. So Cindy's giving him a play-by-play <laughs> about what's going on. Well, well, she said Alice is hugging the mailman or yes. postman. Yeah, she can't come to the phone. She doesn't right know why. She doesn't say why. No, she, I don't think she knows why. No. Alice can't come to the phone because she's hugging the mailman. And so to the me, postman. that's not tattling. That's telling Sam what's going but, on. Yeah. Although you know, how is that tattling? Yeah, I know. I mean, she's not saying she's it like with in this. Well, no, she's not saying it in this. In this ooh sales, she's just telling him I what's know. happening. I understand. But and nobody gives this kid the subtle distinctions about what you're supposed yeah, to say and not say. True. I'm just saying. 
Sam tells Cindy not to tell Alice he called, which is very immature, and hangs up. And she promises, and for once, she keeps her mouth shut, I wrote. Well, she's learning her lesson. Poor Alice. She's all dressed up. Yeah, she's she comes waiting. out. There's a weird camera angle when Mike's putting into a glass. Yes, from the floor. Oh, yeah. I noticed that, too. And I wanted more of that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're right about the rug. <laughs> yeah, Mike's... And it's this nubbly carpet. It's so really his gross. pot is not going to go into the glass. <laughs> and, of course, Carol's going to show him how to pot. And then everybody gets a big laugh out of that because, of course, she's a girl. So how could she know anything about mm, golf? Yeah. <laughs> but poor Alice is all dressed up, all dolled up for Sam. Cindy is like, isn't anyone gonna kiss me goodnight? Oh, and they She's also the have the some. They also her. have some back and forth about Mike possibly apologizing for ridiculing her about the contest, but he oh, kind of wiggles yes. out of yes, apologizing. She won, so obviously her jingle was good. Yes, and it, so he kind of wiggles out of apology. Like he said, if I could remember my words, I'd eat them. Ha ha ha. And then he kind of makes some other excuse for and not And he's wearing his blue velour shirt as it, usual. Yes, he wears his that. favorite shirt. And so Cindy comes down and, and she overhears them talking about Sam. Yeah, and uh, she goes, well, he sounded kind of sore earlier, and Carol's like, when did you talk to Sam? Oh, on the phone when Alice was hugging the mailman, and I told him. And he was mad about her hugging the mailman or uh, something. uh, So... Mm. Uh, now, see, in Brady World, actually, if this were truly consistent with Brady World, they would want... Sam to know Alice was hugging the mailman to make Sam jealous. I know. So then, because earlier, like, Cindy asked Alice if she's going to marry Sam, and she goes, and she said, well, yeah, but I don't know if he's going to marry me, <laughs> or something. And so in Brady World, actually making Sam jealous would enhance their relationship. Although she says as she runs, she and Carol decide to call him. And straight, see if we can straighten this all Why out. Why they can't use the phone right there, I don't know. But they went into the kitchen to call Sam, and uh, Mike, Sam, is, Alice says, oh, he's just so jealous. And then Mike says... As they run out. I think the time has come for a little one-sided discussion here. And I say, oh, Mike, when isn't it time? (laughs) Any time is time with Mike. Sam was an idiot for letting something an eight-year-old said to him affect the way he felt. Yes, I think so, too. And yet, Cindy... When they call him and explain it, what's the difference? She was hugging the mailman because of that, but... Well, Sam probably thought she and the mailman were having an affair. Because she would only have affairs with somebody like a mailman or a butcher or maybe a cobbler. collar, right. She wouldn't have an affair with, like, a doctor, like the... Right, and but all the responsibility for Sam and Alice's relationship is on Cindy's eight-year-old shoulders. Uh, Yeah, apparently. Mike tells Cindy, if she tattles again, she will be punished. She's very stern. And then Tiger... Well, before Tiger comes in, I just want to point out, too... That Mike had a lot of trouble with the nuance. Cindy asked some very probing pointed questions that Mike can't answer about when you say this and when you say that. And Mike's just, whatever, don't tattle. That's not really what he says, but that's the message. And Cindy, as I would, and maybe as Robert Reed would too, in real life, would want to know, well, I don't understand the distinctions. Yeah. Because what What if if somebody asks where mommy is, What if someone falls out of a tree that they're not supposed to climb and breaks their leg? Are you not supposed to tell anyone that they fell out of the tree? You know, that that would be my question. Right. So no one... Yeah, they don't explain very well to her at all. So right. I can understand why, why it's confused. bad and what's... Uh, like, for instance, what if some of her girlfriends stabbed another kid to death and dumped him in a ravine and she knew about it? Is she not supposed to tell anybody about that? That's the thing I thought of, the yeah. example. What I used to say when I was a supervisor at work, 
maybe another reason I'm no longer employed, when somebody I supervise would come up and complain about one of their coworkers, what I would say is, well, you know, I'm the supervisor. Let me worry about them and you just do what you're supposed to do. But it's because I had a handle on what people were doing. You know, it's a much more structured situation than being a parent. And I knew if people were doing what they were supposed to do and what they weren't, whether people thought I was or not. But in a broader sense, as the parent, if I were trying to tell this to a kid... What I would say is, I know it concerns you when you see your brothers and sisters doing things they're not supposed to do, but, you know, let daddy and me figure it out. And if it's something dangerous, illegal, yes, we want to know what's going on, but, you know, you need to be a little more concerned with how you're acting. And I feel like just saying, tattling's bad, tattling's bad. And I don't even really tell them what tattling is. So, anyway. Tiger. Tiger runs in (laughs) with Marsha after him. He stole Marsha's homework right off her desk. Wow. I think He's maybe a problem. Tiger has a compulsion. But you know what? My issue. cat does that. After I had Hannah, I lived at my parents for a while while she was still in the hospital, and my cats came with me. And my cat Kabibi, she likes to take. Who, by the way, you will be able to see photos of on our Facebook yes, page. Yes. And our Instagram. As always, my dad's office was down in kind of a walkout basement area next to the garage. And he has all sorts of little notes. It was much stuff. like Mike Brady's study. Yes, similar. <laughs> he has all sorts of little notes, post-it notes and stuff. And he kept finding this <laughs> crumpled up one at the top of the stairs. And he's like, why do I keep finding this here? Because he used to leave stuff for himself at the top of the stairs. <laughs> and it was her. She would take it off his desk because she does it with my stuff. She'll take a little scrap of paper or something. And she'll bring it and keep putting it like she used to put stuff in the place she used to sleep. Yeah. So similar to Tiger. Well, my dog Dewey. And stuffed toys, too, my, she likes to yeah, take. My dog Dewey used to just plastic bottles. Oh. He loved empty plastic. When I take him for a walk. because he wanted to re- recycle. Right. Well, when we lived in New Hampshire where there was no bottle bill, he found many a day. And it's oh, funny, if he already boy. had one in his mouth, he'd try to pick up another oh, one. And he put him in a little pile in the yard. But in the house, too. If I left an empty bottle on the coffee table or something, he'd knock it down with his little snout oh. and then bring it, carry it around with him for a while and then put what it down a good somewhere. Boy. So anyways, we got off track. Tiger. But Tiger runs out with Marsha's paper and Mike says he gets distracted from his lecture and says he'll ship Tiger to Siberia if he keeps stealing stuff. And I'm almost kind of wondering if because every time we see Tiger he's doing something bad. He got shipped to Siberia. If he did, you know, he's in another episode. But he's not a Siberian husky. (laughs) (laughs) So that means he won't do well in Siberia. (laughs) And Carol's there too and Cindy gets very concerned because you know how kids that age actually, they don't understand understand sarcasm. sarcasm. Yes, they don't. Although I did sometimes, but sometimes well, I we lived in a very to, sarcastic house. Yes, we did, but there are times when people would say sarcastic things. I wasn't quite sure. Cindy is like, what, what? And Carol and Mike are just like, look, don't worry about that. Just don't tattle. So now she's all concerned about right. Tiger. So the doorbell rings and Cindy says, who is it? Because like Cindy's girl? playing jacks. Right in, in the front foyer, of the door. Well, and nobody else seems to be home or around. She's like home by herself. Yeah, well, with Tiger, and uh, <laughs> that's right. she, Tiger's she, but she does check to see who it is. She pulls up a chair and looks in, and it's we get this great visual of the postman's face, face like in the. That's kind of funny. And he gives her the registered letter, and he says, "Well, you can sign your name." So she signed it. Kind and of treats her says, like she's. But I'm cute. not going to give you a hug. And he said, "Oh, I guess it's not my lucky day." And I'm thinking, good because he could be a pedophile. I know. So he. He's gone. She sets the letter down. She sets it down right near where she's playing jacks on kind of that. It's like a half wall type 
half wall, and she sets it so it's not completely on it, and about of half of the letter Tiger sees it, and fucking klepto, and he takes it, and she goes running after him, all distressed, because she's afraid now daddy's gonna And she's gonna, gonna go him. into his doghouse to get it, but then the car pulls up, and she's a fit. Now the kid has no idea what's gonna happen to her or Tiger. Well, that's the thing. One thing I'll say about this plot line, even though it's stupid, is that at least they give her a good motivation for keeping this a secret about Tiger. She's worried that they are going to actually ship Tiger off instead of her just saying, oh, I'm not supposed to tattle. I don't want to tell on Tiger. And also, she can't do anything right. Aww, you know? And so I know. I know. So the poor kid, she doesn't understand really what it is she's doing wrong. She's the youngest of six kids, so obviously there's some issues there anyway. Because yes. they do speculate earlier in the show that maybe it's the youngest child's attempt to get attention, <laughs> but they don't do like a Brady trickery thing of giving her more attention I know. or something. Instead, they just keep shitting on her. Yeah, I know. Without giving her eight-year-old mind clear reasons why what she's doing is wrong. And she's obviously not stupid. She's chasing Tiger. She almost gets to Tiger's doghouse where she would have invariably probably gotten the letter. But he might not have... You know how sometimes they get a little possessive? He might have ripped her arm off. That's true. But she doesn't get to the doghouse because the car pulls up and it's Alice and Carol with a bunch of groceries. And she claims she was looking for her ball. Yes, because she's afraid. She's always losing her ball. She's afraid that Tiger's going to get in trouble. She doesn't want to rat him out. So they're struggling to get in the back way and Mike, you know, walks us through the front door. The phone's ringing and he's all pissed off like, isn't anyone going to get that? And then he's like, I guess I will. I know. He's like right next to the phone. I guess it's not his job to answer the phone. It's golf game. Yeah, if it's his line in his study. So he picks up and it's, it's the contest the people. contest people. And so then they have this bit where Alice is holding the phone in the kitchen but talking to Mike and Carol wondering what her prize might be because she didn't they didn't tell her what her prize was. Yeah. And they're like, "Why don't you ask the man on the phone?" And she's like, "Ooh." So she does and they tell her that she won a high a hi-fi yeah. stereo set. Mm-hmm. At Lloyd's yeah. Stereo Shop or Which whatever. is an inside joke after Lloyd, Lloyd Schwartz. Schwartz. She needs to have the certificate that came in the registered letter today. No one knows anything about a registered letter. Finally, Cindy comes downstairs and they said, you were home. Did the postman come? And she's like, yeah, but I can't tell you. Like They're like, well, where's the letter? I can't tell you. Ha, turns the tables on her. And uh, Carol and Alice are getting all pissed off. They're like, I give you permission, just tell us. So finally we come out. She says, I can't tell you because Daddy is... Oh, I don't want to get Tiger. Yeah, uh, I don't want to get Tiger in trouble. And then they figure out, well, Tiger, okay. Duh! Anytime something's missing, that fucking dog took it. So the certificate's fine. Of course, Alice, she only has till midnight. Right, and then they try to relay to Cindy how when it's something important, you need to tell Mommy and Daddy. It's okay to tell them. How is she supposed to know that? I know. And then we get the tag scene. She's apparently given them the stereo and they set it up in the family yeah. room. Yeah, and then Mike likes Gilbert and Sullivan, and I wrote, of course he does. Of course he does, yes. <laughs> Play Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. At the end, Alice, there's another contest where she's counting jelly beans, and I'm yes. like, there's no way there's 4,000 fucking jelly no. beans there. There's maybe like 400. No. And I mean, I'm not a jelly make, bean Oh, but before that, expert. with the stereo, somebody had left it on. Oh, yeah. And Cindy goes, I know who did it, but I can't tell you because I don't want to tattle on my mommy. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah. she's still finding ways to tattle, even no though shit. she's not. Good for her. I say, you know, defy the power there, That's Cindy. That's right, Cindy. Fight the power. Yeah, and the whole jelly bean tagline just didn't work for me. Jelly bean contest. Plus, who wants the yellow ones? I almost felt like it was... Carol kept trying to eat yellow ones. I, I almost 
felt like it was just a gimmick because they didn't have a good tag. Yeah, probably. Because usually it's Mike and Carol in bed getting it yeah, on. Yeah, they're always getting it on. Little Isaac Hayes on the stereo. Ooh, no, Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> yeah. no one, yeah. <laughs> how the hell does Mike ever get laid? Not that I have anything against Gilbert and Sullivan. I like Gilbert and Sullivan. No, I love Gilbert and Sullivan. But still. Yeah. Come on. I know. It could have been anything. I mean, he but I think like, they also wanted something. Age, he could have like well, they had to have it something that Andy was. Williams. They didn't have to worry about like copyright or shit. Yeah, and I think they wanted, although they didn't play the music. No, but, but I think they, they wanted it. something that kids wouldn't be that familiar with and would think was square. But remember Gilbert O'Sullivan? Yes. What happened to Gilbert O'Sullivan? Alone again, naturally. I think he. Um, he only had that one song. That's such a that is such a depressing song. I know. They still I, play I think it. Maybe on killed the himself. Oh my God! That wasn't his real name. It wasn't. I, I think I used to think maybe we should have a podcast about one hit wonders. Who of the sang Sunday? the song about the bad dog baby? Wasn't that him? Bad dog baby. He was a two or three hit wonder in the U.S. and he was he's still big, active, na- big, big internationally. But, but anyway. I remember that he had two big songs when we first alone again naturally. Yes, which and, was very and sad. get down about the dog named baby and Claire and Claire, which some people think is about pedophilia, but it's actually supposedly about platonic love for oh, a young okay. girl. And he has a YouTube thing about the controversy over Claire, which since this that's a whole different show, we're not talking about it. Okay, except for it. Well, the worst song about that is that Young Girl by Gary he had, he had two. He had Young Girl and this they girl both a woman were... Now? Yeah, this girl's a woman him? now. Ew, yeah. Gross. And they're both like Ugh, Gary yeah. Puckett and the Union Gap. The second most famous musician from Minnesota. Oh, really? Yeah, Bob Dylan was the first. But is Gary Puckett really... What? He is Prince. from Minnesota. Prince. Prince. Oh, oops. Wow. The yeah, so he's the third... And then, yeah. Unless so anyway. you like Gary Puckett <laughs> better, yeah, better than Prince. Okay. Anyway, so so, so let's move so on let's to move what on. and to what goes up a Bobby centric one. No, but I will say it cute. starts with a very sweet Pete beginning. Yeah. Bobby wants to join their club, and the other boys are being their very mean. Club. The tree house. There's an Asian boy in the club. Yep. They're very disdainful of Bobby, but Pete's sticking up for him. And kind of trying to lobby for Bobby to be in their club, which is very sweet. You know, Pete's a very strong defender of his younger siblings. He's a good big brother. He's just like my big brother was when I was young. And they and he mentions Bobby's age, which is nine. The kids kind of grudgingly, when Pete says he'll pay dues, yes, and that he can do all the work. He can be like their mascot. mascot. But Bobby's for his initiation has to climb up to the clubhouse, and Pete is looking on with great joy and happiness as Bobby climbs up. But then Bobby takes a really hard fall. I thought he broke his arm. I thought he broke his arm, too, because he grabs his arm. And the other kids aren't that concerned. They don't even care. They're like, like, ugh, see, he's too little. He can't even cry. But he is very concerned. Yes. And then the next scene we see Bobby is in bed in his pajamas with his ankles taped up. He's in Greg's bed actually. Yeah, and I'm like, well, because the other one's the bunk bed. And it's hard to do a scene with all these people sitting around. Everyone's always in bed when they're Right, and they make a a remark about the doctor making house calls. And dressed up like a nurse. Yeah, I know, which I thought was a little... Well, she had her little fake nurses. She's just... Yeah, her nurse's hat and cape and a little medical bag. And even back then, nurses did wear those little... They dressed up like that. Right. And, And one interesting thing about this episode is Marsha Marie McCormick is not in it. I know and I didn't even notice that. Mike brings Bobby a book and Carol says oh we all had the same idea but they didn't really because there's a board game and cookies cookies, so those aren't really the same as being a book. 
And Tiger. Tiger. What did he bring him, though? It was something in a plastic bag. Yeah, I couldn't tell Tiger what it was. Tiger brings Maybe it's something. Dog. Maybe some dope. Stole. Some marijuana. He stole from the neighbor's pain. Tiger's but, like, you I know, stole this for you, Bobby. And we never really find out what exactly the injury to the ankle is. You know, and the whole appearance of Tiger kind of makes me sad. Yeah, he's a good... And then they decide, Mike decides, that what they really... Because Bobby's getting bored, that they need to... Get him something he's been wanting for a long time that will be a good companion while he's laid up in bed. And it was a parakeet, and I sense the whole reason Bobby wanted a parakeet was to force it to talk. But that makes me sad because he's so lonely. I know, and I think there's a lot of training that goes into making a parakeet talk. Yes, there is. Although I think I told you the story about the guy I worked with who made the crow. He taught a crow to talk. No. I worked with this guy who, he found a baby crow. I used to work a night shift as a computer operator back when they had these big giant discs. They were like bigger than a layer cake that you would I would have to change because they didn't hold much information. He was the office cleaner. That's how we met. He used to sit there and talk to me all the time because I just basically had to watch the computer. But he found a baby crow and he taught it to say hello. Oh. That's why oh. I always took the raven thing literally. Yes. Because people used to have them as pets. Although ravens and talk. crows aren't the same. They are, but they Not have a Bob Reed moment here. But ravens can be taught to speak. Yes, including the words nevermore. Because remember, you, me, and Dad had a conversation about that. that was it a conversation or an argument? Whatever. Yeah. I always took it literally, and Dad thought that the guy in the poem is in a drug-induced state and was hallucinating. I always, because I was an English major, and the roots of my English majorness obviously went back very Major-ness. far into my childhood, Felt it was a metaphor. Yes, yeah, that was the th- our three. <laughs> it's like I'm reliving the so, conversation. The reason I always thought that is one of the reasons was because of this crow. So, anyways, his father let the crow out one day and it flew away. That's a very sad story. But I always thought it would be funny because if you're walking, <laughs> a crow would walking say, down the street and a crow, hello. Maybe he should have taught the crow to say his address. So if it got away, yeah. he could. But anyways, that would freak me out. But, it, but you can with patience. You can teach a bird yes, to Yes, Bobby speak. wasn't using much patience. No. He also is only eight or nine, I mean. Yes. Then let's cut to the chase here. His ankle gets a little better and, and he decides that he can go back. Well, his ankle gets better because Tiger chases the bird and Bobby chases... Bobby's still in bed and Tiger, being a bad boy, <laughs> chases the bird downstairs and Bobby comes charging down the stairs and jumps and nobody remarks on it then because they're concerned about the bird. And of course, Alice is all a Twitter. You know? <laughs> so Bobby That's calls Twitter. the bird Sorry. and everything and they kind of clear the room and Bobby manages to get the bird to come to him. Because the bird probably at this point has bro- bonded with him. Knows him and they do bond. So they say, they oh Bobby, you, you know, your ankle's better and he's like oh yeah it is so hey maybe he'll try to join the club but it turns out mommy's now afraid of heights because he fell down although he's in a denial about it yes he keeps saying his ankle hurts when he doesn't want it when it doesn't and everybody's very concerned and mike initiates mike kind of poo-poos because pete tells dad that bobby wouldn't climb back up because he said his ankle hurt and mike's like well it is his ankle (laughs) and pete's like "Hmm, yeah and mike says so maybe it does hurt and he's your brother and you should believe him and pete's like oh yeah yeah but then it all comes to a head greg goes into mike's study Greg is very concerned, very concerned, and is telling Mike the story. He has to reel it out about how he invited Bobby to come riding bikes down Maple Hill and blah, blah, because Bobby's always pestering him, too. But Bobby said he couldn't because 
he had to use his brakes and it would hurt his ankle. And Mike's like, well, that makes sense. And Greg, the big reveal... Even He even takes a dramatic pause and he goes, but I told him he could use my bike. Pause. And my bike has hand brakes. <laughs> I know. I like, <laughs> Mike goes, whoa. Like he whips around and it's like, wow. I guess there's oh, something. and so Mike is finally And convinced. the other thing is, Jan's swinging on this. That swings <laughs> Yes, that shouldn't be little. And she wants to have a contest to see who can go a, higher. He, he's afraid. And then he goes, it's no fun beating a girl. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. And Jan, of course, doesn't react she's to the gratuitous like anti No, but she is female. concerned about him. She's and concerned about him. Everybody's afraid to go up to Mount Claymore for the camp. And it's like, what is it like doing the knife edge at Mount Katahdin <laughs> or something where you're going to be, there's these giant drop-offs or yeah. something? Because Carol's like, well, last time you were the first one to the top. He's like, well, my ankle's still a little sore. And then he does the big fake limp like our dog general he's yeah, limping out of the room so everybody's very concerned about yes, bobby i wrote that the three adults discuss while greg looks on, yes. on the couch yes it's so concerning that they invited alice uh, into the family room for their high level discussion yes. about what yes. trickery they would impose on bobby they come, yes they have to have and, a plan and greg doesn't totally understand so they have to use a metaphor mike has to say well remember what happened when you got beamed with the ball batting practice and greg goes it hurt (laughs) kind of a pete type answer but then mike reminded greg that the coach got greg to get right back in the batting box so he wouldn't lose his nerve and then it dawns on greg oh i see so instead of sitting down and talking to bobby about the problem because bobby has not said i'm afraid of heights he's just using excuses they decide some major major trickery they've got to mess with his mind in a big way and you notice these mind messes their trickery no matter how vulnerable the kid is at the moment (laughs) no matter what their issue is always involves hurting the person's feelings and making them feel left out so what do they do but they get a trampoline well before that they do greg has stilts oh yeah that's right greg has stilts and and, won't use them and uh, then mike has a stupid ploy where he's up on a ladder oh yeah and wants the (laughs) screwdriver but he Mike makes the tactical mistake of doing it outside the hey, boys' window? glassless bedroom window. And I'm like, don't they have bugs in California? <laughs> and they have screens on the windows. Maybe not. It remind me of Rome. In Rome, you know, yeah. there were no window screens in the windows. And so, and I'm not talking about Rome, Maine. I'm talking when, about Rome, Italy. Home of the <laughs> home of the North Pond Hermit. You'd have to listen to our other podcast. Yeah. Oh, but we haven't talked about no. him yet. So, but in any case, <laughs> um, crime and stuff. So Mike sends Bobby to get a screwdriver. Mike's up on this ladder by the boys' bedroom window, pretending he's fixing a shutter, and he, he's just banging it with a hammer, looking very proud of himself that Bobby fell for his ruse. But then bangs it too hard, and the shutter does. And he's like, "Bobby, I really need that screwdriver." The next thing you know, there's Bobby in the window because he's no dummy. Yeah. Handing Dad, like, even if you weren't afraid of heights, you don't climb up a ladder behind when somebody someone's else. on it, they not to do that You work. would think Mike would have that rule. Oh, yeah, well... But, in any plot. case, so Mike's little so trick... Last, so they go big last, time. Yes, they go big, big time. time. And you would think... Since they, they do mention that they borrowed it from someone. Yes, I felt like that was a Bob Reed yes. input. Yes. But since they had a three-adult-plus-Greg summit <laughs> that the major trickery would have come in earlier, and I found the trampoline scene made me uncomfortable. Everybody seemed very unnatural. Yeah, remember how last week I talked about how when they all went to watch Greg's movie? Yes. I felt like they were ad-lib and it really worked naturally and felt 
With the trampoline, I felt, I think they were ad-libbing, but it just seemed, oh, you go now. Oh, look, oh, you're doing so well. It just seemed very... Because there's not much you can do, though, on a trampoline. Well, it just seemed very fake. And while they were on the trampoline, Bobby's up in the window with his bird. With his bird, and he looks very sad. He's so good at looking sad and lost, the little boy lost. But you had read, I was in Barry Williams' book or another book, and this is another thing that makes me think they were ad-libbing and there was a slip-up. Yeah, he says, are you going to take a turn Eve or something Yeah, to Jan, yeah. To Jan. He says that, and then Carol immediately says, well, she just had a turn, so somebody else has to go, or something. And it seemed a little rushed, and it was almost like to cover up. And when you're watching it, it just, you don't even catch the Eve. I didn't hear what he said, Eve. But if you watch it over... Short, short name where it could sound like he's like, just saying, are you going to take another tourney here? <laughs> tourney? And obviously Bobby's not falling for it. Even Cindy was brave enough to get on it. So, so they have to play the ace card, which is Alice. the Alice card. Because Alice is scared of everything. And of course, she's wearing her friggin' maid uniform. I know, which so is So tell me dress. they're not going to see her panties <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> if but she, she wears She gets them. on and she's actually pretty good. And then you can tell from the yeah. far away scenes when the, she does more <laughs> tricks that they're using a stunt double yeah. who looks almost like a man and is much skinnier than Alice and has a weird wig. (laughs) And then Mike catches her coming off of it and he catches the stunt double and then it shows Alice. (laughs) And Bobby even smiles. smiles, But then he He goes away from the window. Sadly goes away because he's reacting like a real person I wish would. I could be there, but I can't. But I can't because he has. I this, have a fucking fear of heights. When somebody has a fear, even if it seems irrational to other people, you're not going to trick them out of having it. No. But, oh, 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 wait! There was a joke I forgot. Oh, let's Mike hear. makes a joke about the Richter scale when Alice is on the. Yes, he does. He goes, "Well, that set the Richter five point yeah, yeah. four or something." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" And I felt like that was an ad lib too. And it's like, really? Fuck you. Yeah. You know. Fuck it. So Tiger, to the rescue in a way, because all of a sudden, <laughs> the trampoline is gone and everything. We've moved on. We hear Bobby yell, Tiger, and then the bird <laughs> flies out the screenless window. And Tiger tries to go right and after ti- Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. And so Bobby comes running downstairs, runs outside. The bird's up in a tree, climbs up, so he's balancing on top of the, the swing, swing set, set, which would cause concern even to me. I would be concerned. And yes. gets the bird, and then everybody's like, oh, look at Bobby, look at Bobby. And somebody calls him a hero, a word they just throw around very randomly on this show. And he's grinning at them, and he has his little bird, and all I can think of is, so how's he getting down from there with no the bird shit. on his finger? When I was a legal secretary, some lady gave my boss a little peach-faced lovebird as a oh yeah payment. He didn't really want it. And the cage was in my office, which was outside of his office, because I was a secretary. Who gives somebody a a bird? Some druggie, because that was a lot of his clients. No offense to the people of Maine, but you know. They get very lonely. That, that's why they're called lovebirds. So finally, I, I got her a mirror, and that helped her a lot. Because love makes you lonely? But she, it could have been a boy, but I called her she. Her name was Peaches, which the woman had already given her. She used to sit on my shoulder. She knew who I was as opposed to other people. So she was able to discern. I would close the doors in my office, take her up to clean her cage. And she was so cute. She'd either sit on the back of my monitor, or she'd sit on my shoulder Aww. and play with my hair. So they're not not as dumb. No. I always thought birds were dumb. They're no, very they're smart. Well, you think of that because a bird brain. I know. People call but anyway, people. so I can see that the bird... And then, of course, the next episode, the bird's gone, so whatever. Yeah, there's no more bird. And 
And uh, he's cured of his yes, pipes. Yes, he is. And Mike and Carol are so proud. And then in the end, Tiger and No Name Bird are his only friends. Yeah, well, I thought it was cute the way he had Tiger carrying the bird's cage. But yeah, again, he doesn't need their club because he has his own club. With his own, he's got two members, two yes, friends. the Tiger, tiger and, and his the bird. bird. So that brings us to the final episode One of that apparently, according to Barry Williams... People seem to remember very well this episode. Yes, they do. And for one, probably... She always said, don't, don't play, play ball in the house. house. This is episode 12 of season two, Confessions, Confessions. The three boys are in the boys' bedroom. Peter is excited about a camping trip he's taking. Says it's his first overnight camping trip. He must mean without his parents, because we know that they've been on one Well, he says it's his first overnight camping trip with just the guys, but then at the end we learn that neighbor is coming. Mr. What's Mr. Norton or... Greg's like, well, let's shoot some bass, and uh, is trying to shoot, throw the ball into the wastebasket, and Bobby says, Mom will get mad, and Greg says, no, she won't. No one's home. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so they're playing, fooling around like boys will, and Peter goes to make a shot. The ball goes down the hall and down the stairs and hits the vase, which before now has never, ever been on that friggin' chest. We have never seen that vase that before. Stupid, there's some animal statue that's always there. That's pushed aside. This vase is sitting in there. In fact, before, Alice had thought the vase was somewhere else later in the show, so maybe the vase had been... Let's just pretend this is real life for a minute. Maybe the vase had actually been somewhere else and, and Carol moved it. It's pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, it gets broken by the ball and Bobby says, she always said don't play ball in the house. Like he's warning him. And Peter's like, oh no, I'm going to get in trouble and I'm not going to be allowed to go on my camping trip because we were playing ball in the house when we weren't supposed to and I broke the vase. But it's like, do you have to tell her how you broke the vase? Can yeah. you just say, oh, I swung my coat and it hit it? And it well, fell. that would I mean, be lying. Yeah, whatever. And Greg says, well, you know what? You can tell her, but just wait until after this weekend. Your camping trip's in a couple of days. Of course, the girls had come to the top of the stairs, and they overhear what's going on. They're like, don't worry, we won't tell either. And they all make a pact that they are going to keep Peter from getting in trouble. The girls take the pieces of the vase up in their bedroom while the boys are going to get some glue. And they're at the hardware store or whatever. And that, there's always funny clerks at the stores. Have you ever noticed? Yes. They're, yeah, they're, they make a lot of hay. Out so of the a, guy's like, Will it, is it good for vases? And he goes, well, does it say it's good for vases? And so Peter has to read the thing. And it, yeah, it says it's good for, then it's good for vases. Is it invisible? And then he says, does it say it's invisible? Oh, no. And then Peter reads the thing and it doesn't. Well, then it's not invisible. And he's like, but it's as close as you can get. And they're like, good, good. And then inexplicably, Carol is at the hardware store. The boys tell her they're buying a popcorn popper for the camping trip. And then the clerk comes back and hands them the bag with the glue in it. And she goes, well, that's pretty small for a popcorn pop. And then Peter goes, well, it pops uh, one kernel at a time. And she doesn't seem to buy it. But yet, you would think she would wonder what was really going yeah. on. And it's kind of forgotten. Mike comes home from work. And he has a big bouquet of flowers. The ugliest bouquet of flowers. Like marigolds or You know something. what it looks like? He bought Which them at a gas station. Good. They look to me like carnations. Oh, like those, those cheap old carnations you buy at like 7-Eleven for 99 cents. And the uh, girls are like, oh, we know just the vase. Which is obviously not mom's favorite vase. So Alice is serving dinner and everything. And the boys have hurried glued together the... Marsha helped. Oh, they did it in the girls' room. Oh, that's right. And it was this very, very important surgical scene. So they hurriedly glue it together, and it's in its place, 
And they're at dinner. And Carol says, she's like, that vase is way too small. And she says, why don't you use that vase? And then Peter and Greg, ooh, we'll, yeah, we'll do it. Like, and then she says, put an aspirin in the water. And, and they're like, like ooh, water? See, I would have told her I put water in it, but then I wouldn't have. Because yeah, that's exactly wilt. what they're I They're not going to wilt right away. But anyways, they do. And it's kind of funny because. And they're watching when they put the water like, in it. And they're like, oh, good, oh, it's good, not it's leaking. It's not leaking. And they bring it back to the table. And one of the best scenes, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, of any episode we've talked about this week is, <laughs> so they're sitting at the table, yeah. and none of the kids are staring at the vase. Carol and Mike obviously know something's up. It's weird because they can get so concerned about things, but yet their curiosity of why all six <laughs> kids are sitting there barely eating, and like one of the kids says, oh, well, the food is so good, we want to... Savor it or and then the leaks start the water coming out. And it's like, and it's like, then it starts like, Alice and then the kids start eating like really hurriedly. Al- and Alice comes in and is like, Do you want three quarts for the fountain? <laughs> I know, that was funny. <laughs> but I was like, Alice, get it, get it, towel. But I thought it was funny how none of the kids were eating, and then that happens, and then they're all just like shoveling and of course, the food Mike in. And, and nobody's responding. I thought it was a really well choreographed scene, the way they were acting without words. Mike and Carol are very suspicious. And they realize somebody broke the vase. vase, But no one says And Mike said, after dinner, you know, we'll deal with this after dinner. And he's in his study. And Carol is in the family room. room. Strangely. Everyone confesses. One by one. Alice confesses for some I know. And that's, well, they needed her to confess for symmetry. Because the girls confessed to Mike. The boys and Cindy confess to Carol, and then Alice confesses to Mike. Yeah. Because there were only five kids confessing, I felt like they needed it for plot symmetry. Okay. That and was so my feeling on Peter that. Peter is the only one that doesn't confess. So, Carol comes in, they start getting it on, as usual. Mm-hmm. Mike decides that they're going to do a mind game. Well, first of all, through great deductive oh, yes. reasoning, they figure, they figure out, out five kids confessed. They couldn't have all done it, but one kid didn't, didn't. confess. So it's probably him. So it was probably him. And so they're going to screw big time with his fucking mind. Yes. Instead they, of just bringing him in and saying, come on, Pete, you're probably the one who broke the... And he, the thing is, he wanted to confess. I know. In and fact, kept he... Well, we'll go on with it. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. So they decide they're going to punish everybody except Peter. So he will be punished by feeling guilty. Yes. Which is totally fucking with him. And so all the other kids and, suffer because they need even, because they need to be punished too for being accessories to this yes, whole thing. They, so Mike must be in his just a, a giant heart <laughs> on from this because everybody gets punished. He gets to fuck everybody over yes. and play different levels of mind yes, games with people. Does. And do you notice in the family meeting in the family room, usually they have the girls lined up and the boys lined up. In this one, they have all five of the kids crammed together in one giant group with some of them even behind. And then Pete's alone in a mm. chair with milk and cookies which uh, nobody else has almost like he's yes. been set up they in this position of power because they decided he would not only not be punished but he would pick everyone else's punishment right because they want to totally to totally fuck, fuck with him, him. Over. he says no no i don't i don't want to do it and mike keeps saying to Carol whenever she's had doubts about this trickery strategy that Pete's conscience will force him to confess. Now, again, I don't know why they just can't talk to the kid. but Because that wouldn't be any fun. 
Yeah. Peter asks Mike if he can sleep on it. He's not sure what to do for the punishment. Mike says, sure. And then when they go up to the room... He feels bad, yeah. Yeah. Pete, he again wants to confess. And Greg says, don't So his conscience immediately... Hit, right, and Greg says, you want to go on your camping trip? Don't worry about it. And you, then Greg has this great, great idea. idea where they can we'll think up their own punishments. Mm-hmm. So they think up these lame ones. Really, like, like Greg's going to bring Cindy Mark's to the movie. Uh, Marsha's going to bring Bobby to the amusement park. And that Jan will help Al. Alice cook the next time Alice makes a cake. Yeah, something stupid. So when Peter gives them the the list of punishments, Mike and Carol are like, no, you've got to think of worse punishments than that. So Pete gets hard ass. Yeah. Like, for instance, Greg and Bobby have to clean the screens on Saturday, and Greg has a ball game he's going to miss. And before that, Mike says they want him to think of harder punishments, and they want him to think on it overnight. And Mike says, if I know Peter, he'll admit it by morning. And since he doesn't admit it by morning... Mike ups the stakes. Yes, he does. Big time. He decides he'll reward him with camping equipment since he's going on this camping trip. Talk about upping the stakes. You are just mind-fucking this kid to death. This poor sweet boy who wants... You know? I know. It's funny. I mean, it's not, but it's... Then Peter has that dream. So Lloyd Schwartz talks in his book about how... TV shows have to, they have to be an exact amount of minutes and seconds long. And they were like a minute short on this show. So one of the, I think it was one of the film editors came up with this idea. So Pete's tossing and turning in bed having the they, had, they apparently had some kind of a, a footage of him already sleeping in bed for something else. So they just yes. used that. So the film editor took, and you guys all remember this. The you dream. all remember this if you're listening and you've watched the show. Pete's having the stream where he keeps hearing Bobby's voice say Bobby and Greg over and over again. Say, Mom said not to play ball in the house where the ball in slow motion. Says. So he's seen it and it's showing it in slow motion and then at one point it backs up and goes backwards yeah. and comes back. So apparently the film editor did that to, and I think it, it's a hugely effective scene because, <laughs> and then so it intersperses, Peter's tossing and turning and then it's just showing the slow motion over and over and it breaking the and at one point it like does a close up of it breaking the base and then it goes backwards from right and it's almost and poor Peter is just tortured now and his father's mind fuck. I know. Ultimate mind fuck hasn't so the next morning he's getting ready for the camping trip. So there's Greg and Bobby doing the screens, Marsha mowing, mowing the astroturf and clipping it. Yeah. <laughs> Cindy and Jan are weeding and everybody looks miserable, but nobody's really crapping on Peter. So Peter feels bad watching everyone do the chores, but he's still getting ready to go. And Carol and Mike escort him to the door. Waiting for the major him, trickery. Waiting for the going to give any time. Waiting for the payoff. Carol tells him Mr. Kramer's waiting for them to do everything Mr. Kramer tells you. So I don't think it's very good advice. No. So, so finally Peter confesses. He can't take it. And it's weird because he confesses and it seems like they're still going to let him go on his camping trip. Yeah, he's like, oh, I can't go. Yeah, I think that's, he does a good job with that. And Mike and Carol are pleased. Pete says, well, what do I tell Mr. Kramer? Tell him the truth, son. Yeah, well, and I'm like, since when? I know. And the thing I thought was funny is Marsha was mowing the astroturf and then Pete's at the end. Pete's mowing the astroturf. Because he decided he should do everyone's chores. He's and Carol wants him to re-glue the vase, and he said he would. And she hands it to him, and she drops it, and it shatters. Yes. <laughs> and I want to his whole punishment kind of reminded me of, I used to work with someone Is this another bird story? No, it has nothing to do with a bird. I worked with someone whose mother owned one of those restaurants that was really busy in the summer. It was in a tourist area. 
and there was a girl that worked there and there was somebody having a party or a group of people were going out. It was a Friday night and the woman who ran the restaurant said, you are supposed to be here to open tomorrow. You better be here. You better not call out sick with a hangover because it's going to be really busy. It was in the middle of summer, Saturday breakfast. The next morning comes, the girl doesn't show up to work because she's got a hangover. So the woman went over and got her and made her sit in the restaurant. She wouldn't let her wait tables. She had to sit there and watch everybody else wait the tables with the crowd. Wow. So I thought that was kind of a mind fuck. Yeah, it was a mind fuck and also illegal. What, to make her sit in the restaurant? Well, unless she paid her. Maybe she paid her for it. Any case, yeah, that's a good story. She wouldn't let her help her colleague. And watch everybody suffer because of what she did. She wanted to teach her a lesson, a la Mike Brady. Yeah, so this was a classic mind Oh, this was horrible. Epic proportions. They screwed poor little Peter's mind so bad. to enjoy it while they were doing it. We got to teach him a lesson. And my fun fact for today comes from this episode and this fun fact is courtesy of erica wolf of the bradypedia and it's one of her tiki talk facts which she does a great job with and it says the script originally entitled nothing but the truth contains a different ending than the tag that aired instead of carol handing the vase back to peter and it breaking we would have seen peter talking to the whole family about how he deserves to do their chores now he asked for the hardest one and all the kids chime in with the one that he she had been doing then mike sends youngest child cindy outside to tell mr nelson not mr kramer in the original script the man waiting in the car that peter isn't going camping so I guess it didn't have Peter's confessional moment. That's weird. I think the ending they actually had worked better than the original script. You know, maybe yes. they realized that the script didn't work. Do you have a favorite quote from this group oh. of six? The one I really liked was, Jan, if boys don't find you attractive, don't blame it on me. <laughs> Marcia. Sometimes Marcia can be just mean. Well, I'm not going to pick Mom Always Says Don't Play Ball in the House because, because you know, everybody that's a famous tagline. Everybody knows it. But mine is from this episode, and it's Mike when the kids, you know, when the kids all confess. And let's face it, they learned their trickery <laughs> at the hands of their parents. Mike says, well, why don't we play along with their little game? Like, it's something new for him. Yeah, I know, you know? I know. He relishes the uh, chance to play along. Uh, Next week, we're going to do episodes 13 through 18 of season two. So episode 13 is the Impractical Joker. Episode 14 is Where There's Smoke. Ah. I remember that one. Episode 15, Will the Real Jan Brady please (laughs) stand up? Episode 16, The Drummer Boy. Another classic. Mm. We're getting into some real meaty classics here. Episode 17, Coming Out Party. Mm, It may not be what you think. And episode 18, Our Son the Man. Oh, I like that one. Mm. So I'm excited about rewatching I am. You can find us at GroovyTubePodcast.com. And you can also find us on Twitter. Twitter, GroovyTubePod. And Instagram and Facebook, just look for GroovyTube. We tweet screenshots from the shows with quotes on them because we watch with our closed captioning on. Yes. And other stuff. 
and go on iTunes and rate and review us. Yes, please rate and review. And if you go on our website, you can subscribe with your Android or other ways you subscribe to podcasts. So you can go ahead and do that. And we'll see you next week. Stay groovy. And a special thanks to Ben Sound for our groovy music.